Welcome to Cube and Chaos. Spend some time with us, enjoying old cars and new, whether they are weak or powerful. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cube and Chaos. I'm Jacob. And I'm Max. And we have another guest. We are joined by Boland, who streams a bit, active on Twitter, and someone who's crushed one of the last alternative play events on Magic Online. But I'm not an expert on everything that you do, every way you're connected to Magic. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself and also um, maybe your signature spellbook? Yeah, so it's good to meet you guys. My name is Michael Boland. Uh, I'm from San Diego, so I've played a lot in California over the last, I don't know, two decades or something. As you said, I, I stream on Twitch. It's Bolander42, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's just Boland. We will link both of that. As far as like my signature spellbook, I was trying to think of tournaments that stick out in my mind and like cards that I've loved from those tournaments. So like really early on, one of the first tournaments I ever won, I remember, was uh, with a blue-white Stoneforge Vendelian Click deck in Legacy. This is when I was in high school. Uh, so Vendelian Click sticks out as like one of my favorite cards still to this day. I love it in Cube. I love whenever it's playable and constructed. And that was like the premier card from from my deck in that tournament. So that was super fun to play with. And then going forward from there, I was like really into brewing and like coming up with homebrew type decks to attack the, the formats uh, when I was in college. And my favorite one was Green White Quest for the Holy Relic. So it involved Fauna Shaman and Vengevine and Squadron Hawk and stuff, but then you also had this combo plan of quest for the Holy Relic, and then you make like five creatures come into play, and then you sack it and get an Argentum armor and kill all your opponent's permanents. So, quest for the Holy Relic is the next one there. That's a bit of a deep cut, but did you uh, get that to work or did you just brew it? Yeah, it was during the like Zendikar, Zendikar slash Rise format and i i mean i wasn't playing like a ton i wasn't like playing pro tours with this deck but i was playing i won a local event at the channel fireball game center i won like a 1k or something and it was sort of a there was an existing like tier two deck that was a mono white quest deck that played like glint hawk and ornithopter and stuff and my my like big thing was adding fauna shaman and vengevine to it for more like grind potential and yeah, it was pretty successful. I liked it. And let's see what my next one is here. PTRTR is the, the Pro Tour that I played. And that was in 2012. The, I played a ton of Blue-White Delver to like prep for that PTQ season and stuff. And the deck that I eventually won a PTQ with was just the standard like Blue-White Delver Stoneforge. Or not Delver Stoneforge, Delver Snapcaster Mage. Just Mana Leak, mm -hmm. Delver, that one. And uh, I have Gataxian Probe as my my one for that one, because I loved Gataxian Probe. And still to this day, anytime I can play a Gataxian Probe, I, I love it. But, you know, it's few and far between as far as formats you can play Gataxian Probe yeah. in. Of course, yes. And, like, so frequently now, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, but turn one, Probe U. Turn two, like, Snapcaster Probe U. I live for that. 
that's my that's my jam. <laughs> <laughs> Got to build the divination somehow. Oh yeah, it's a divination that attacks your opponent. It's awesome. <laughs> um, another another sweet part of probe is if you flip the delver with the probe, you don't really like give your opponent information about what's in your hand, but you get the information of what's in their hand. It's lovely. Mm -hmm. Then what's my next one here? Um, I top aided uh, SCG Open in LA in 2014 with Manalist Dredge. So that was a fun experience <laughs> playing no lands, going on the draw every round. And I have Narcomoeba down as my, my card for that one because I still, to this day, love Dredge. In, I played a lot in Modern and I've played it in basically every format where you're allowed to play Dredge. I still love my Future Sight Narcomoebas. You love to see, like, when you're milling, that, that beautiful, like, bright blue card. It's like, oh, yeah. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I imagine with that deck, you're playing the, like, flashback uh, reanimate thing. Yeah, Dread Return. So the main thing was you'd go on the draw. You'd basically never mull again. And you would draw your eighth card. You'd go to cleanup step, and you'd discard, like, a Golgari Grave Troll or a Stinkweed Imp. And then you just start going from there. And eventually you'd get some creatures into play, like Icarids and zombie tokens and Archimibus and stuff. And then soften up your opponent's hand a little bit with Cabal Therapy and Dread Return a um, Balustrade Spy to mill your whole deck. Right. Win from there. You reanimate Flamekin Zealot or whatever. Mm -hmm, the haste thing. Yeah. yeah. Kill your opponent. So how you actually won was like kind of not really the point, but the like setup of uh, it played Gutaxi Probe, Street Wraith, Mistress Bauble. Like it played all sorts of free cantrips to try to get more dredges. And um, yeah, it was just a very like out there kind of deck. And it was cool to actually win with it. I think I, I, didn't, I didn't win the event, but it was cool to win matches with it. I lost horribly in the top eight to a deck featuring like prop rotation for Bajuka Bog. And like. <laughs> It was basically like main deck. There was like ten different Bajuka bogs. There was like expedition map, crop rotation and stuff. And then in the sideboard, he boarded in Savannah and some rest in pieces. So it's like at one point in the top eight, my opponent had an Ulamog and like a bunch of other stuff, and I just had an Narcomoeba. That was my permanent. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah, he's Narcomoeba is the hero. It was the last permanent I controlled in that in that event. <laughs> We don't talk about that part. We're going to talk about the part where I crushed like seven rug Delver decks in a row, like to get there. <laughs> uh, let's see. My, my, it's my next one here. Oh, so one of the like coolest tournaments I ever played was the Super Sunday series, the SSS, which was in 2015. I played the second one of these that they held. It was an event at Watsi headquarters and. You qualified for it. Basically, there was like a big side event on the second day of GPs, and the winner of that would uh, like get a qualification. So they would do one of these at every GP for the year, and then they'd invite all those people to uh, the Watsi headquarters, and we played with Fate Reforged like the week before it was released. So we got awesome. to like build our deck list with Fate Reforged cards, and I'd be like, we'd like request them from Watsi. It's like, can I get some monastery mentors for my deck, please? <laughs> and so I have Monastery Mentor down as the as my card from that event because I love Jeskai Ascendancy with Treasure Cruise and Goblin Rabble Master, Monastery Mentor, Stoke the Flames, that sort of action. That was super fun. 
that's so sweet that you got to like show up and play with the cards a week early. Yeah, it was really cool. That was cons draft with fate and uh, yeah, standard with the new cards. So really, really awesome formats. And I met some people at that event that I still like, they're still some of my friends. So it was a really cool event. It was like super uh, like exclusive is not really the word, I guess, but it was like a very small field, you know, it was only like 50 people. It does seem kind of exclusive. I don't know. Yeah, it was it was a fun like camaraderie. I remember in the like hotel rooms before the event, we were all just like drafting all night. It was like draft, draft, draft <laughs> to try to prep for it. So that was cool. I still have my play mat from that event it's signed by all the participants. It's my favorite play mat. <laughs> we just got that uh that format back on Magic Online pretty recently. Oh, I know. I played a lot. <laughs> nice. That that leads into my next my next card, Abomination of Gadul, my favorite card mm-hmm. from Cons Limited, which is I think my favorite limited format, unless you count Cube. But <laughs> love love me a giant flying looter. Card's <laughs> great. It was one of the cards where the looting is uh, not the main attraction, I guess. Right, you're you're like bodying oh, your opponent perfect. with this three power flyer. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. what are my last ones here? I have two more. So uh, the other, the coolest tournament that I played recently was SCG Con in 2019, where they had a cube draft. The like, it was a powered cube with like 10k in prizes. They always just call it the 10k cube draft thing. But oh, I remember watching that. I think yeah, there was a popper cube qualification and modern qualifiers so four people won modern qualifiers for it and four people won popper cube qualifiers for it over the course of the weekend and then those top eight people drafted powered cube so i flew up there i stayed with my buddy and my plan was just to grind all the qualifiers until i like got in there and i just won the first one i won the modern the first modern one so i was just chilling for like the rest of the weekend (laughs) hanging out Watching other people play, but then I got to battle. Were you allowed to play the pauper qualifier still? The pauper cube qualifier? Uh, I was. Yeah, I played. I played one of them. Uh, I had a pretty nice like blue red Delver deck, but I, I conceded to one of my friends because uh, I already had the qualification. Uh, I guess. <laughs> hmm. Nice. But yeah, I was just playing like for funsies. But in so I have two down as my my cards for this one. I have Death Shadow. Because that's the my modern deck that I qualified with, and still one of my favorite modern decks to this day. Love Death Shadow gameplay. Try to go to like one, but not zero. It's a fun, <laughs> a fun little dance. And then I have Faithless Looting as my card from the from that cube draft. I I first picked. I actually forget if I first picked Gristlebrand or Faithless Looting, but I first picked one of those, and then I was on like a reanimation. I was going hard on the reanimation plan, <laughs> and it turned out pretty well. I lost in the finals to um, Jonathan Brostoff, Jaybro, oh, yeah, yeah well. one of the, the the perpetual cube trophy leader on Moto, and uh, yeah. excellent cube streamer. If you are interested in cube, you should follow him. But yeah, he I, I drew at one point in the finals. I drew fourteen cards with Gristlebrand, and it was still not good enough to defeat Oko and. The other, <laughs> like, 
answer cards he had in his deck. He basically just killed every card in my deck. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. John, I noticed the theme of a lot of uh, banned cards in in your list. So between yeah. like looting, <laughs> dredge. Probably like yeah. half my cards on here have been banned. Faithless looting now a banned card. Right. Sad. Uh, Monastery mentors restricted in vintage even. But oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Not a vintage expert. Yeah. When it when it was unrestricted, it was a it was party time. At one point, you could like play a bunch of gushes and a bunch of monastery mentors. That was a good good time. But yeah, that's it. That's my eight. Awesome. Another theme I noticed I was going to say is uh, you have a lot of like constructed tournaments and pretty good results uh, like behind these stories. So I'm I'm wondering when was the first time you played limited? Hmm. I think the. the First limited tournament I ever played was a Future Sight draft, like on Future Sight pre-release day, but I had no clue what I was doing. I have an inkling in my mind that I passed a Tarmogoyf because I had no idea what it was. Uh, I think I opened a Tarmogoyf and I was like, the hell is this? I'll, I'll just pass this. I'll take this like removal spell or something. Well, <laughs> but, that was consensus at I, the time. So, Yeah, exactly. It was like, what are we doing with this card? It's like a grizzly bear, but with more steps. Yeah, like, <laughs> nobody took that card at that at that time nobody liked it nobody played it <laughs> yeah and if yeah. if there was some like discussion on the forums or whatever that this card was going to be good i was certainly not part of that i was like in high school and I was, I was just trying to have a good time but when i was first starting to like learn really how to draft was in shadowmore so i drafted a ton of shadowmore eventide and uh pretty much every format since then i've drafted a bunch i always i love limited too these constructed tournaments stick out in my mind because they're some of the like bigger tournaments I've played, but I, I'm, I don't know. I have a, a love for limited as well. <laughs> for sure. Was Eventide, was that the format if it was like triple Eventide where you could just like draft all the mimics and then just like do really insane stuff with just one like two color pair? I think Shadowmore Eventide, that was a format where you could play like monocolor decks, right? Uh, yeah, so at the time we mostly drafted Shadowmore, Shadowmore, Eventide, I remember. But like when they've done flashbacks and some of the like more obscure formats, they've had triple Eventide and you can get real degenerate because it's a small set and you can draft like black white with eight of the black white mimic and then you're just like crushing your opponent every turn. You play a black white card or whatever. <laughs> Those yeah, triple small set. Formats are always kind of wild. Yeah, but even Shadowmoor, yeah. Shadowmoor Eventide was kind of wild because, like, one had the hybrid cards in mm -hmm. color, one had allied hybrid, allied, and then was enemy hybrid. So, yeah, Monocard was really the place to be because otherwise you're not casting the triple hybrid cast casting cost cards that are really good. So, yeah, it, it was not a great limited experience, I would say. On Modo, if you draft like a mono red deck and then it's like you go to the suggest lands, it gives you like two of each land because <laughs> you have like Bogart Ram Gang and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you need some forests and some swaps for sure. And uh... <laughs> yeah, it, probably kind of a weird time to like start learning limited, but I, I was hooked. Yeah. I remember, um, I think I heard about Triple Eventide once because someone told me that format was like more aggressive than original Zendikar. And I was like, that's just not possible. Like Zendikar is like mono one drops. That's like what you do. And then you play your landfall like two drops and whatever. 
and your curve pretty much ends there. Um, yeah. But I guess, I mean, if you just have like all the mimics, <laughs> then you really can do something like pretty crazy. You can definitely um, draft a more like focused deck when it's a small set. Like I also liked Cold Snap draft and you could draft like 12 of the same card or whatever. <laughs> There's a lot of payoffs for drafting, like many copies of, of one card. Well, you were trying to read the table not for the open color, but for the open collect them all card. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's just good drafting experience yeah. right there. <laughs> so yeah, you said um, cons might be your favorite limited format if we don't count cube. But mm. assuming we are counting cube and maybe specifically this uh, live the dream cube, um, do you want to tell us a little about your experience there? Because that, I mean, from what I've heard, is <laughs> pretty insane. Yeah, so I liked it a lot the first time they put it up uh, a while back. I don't really remember exactly. And I didn't play a ton of it, but I played a few. And it was really sweet because it doesn't have the same like cube staples that you expect that are in basically all the Moto cubes and just like everybody's normal cubes. Uh, you're mm. getting to play with kind of out there stuff. And so this time I kind of went hard on it. I drafted a ton of them on stream, a ton of them off stream. And I was like getting to the point where I was kind of identifying like the different archetypes that I liked the best. Um, in my opinion, the blue white blink deck or the Esper blink deck, just like blue white X blinking was the best archetype, but also the one that nobody wanted to draft for some reason. <laughs> it was very strange. Like I would, sometimes I'd be like, okay, I drafted blue white blink the last five drafts. I'm gonna draft something else. I'm gonna like force not blue white blink. And then I would like do some stuff and then pick eight or nine, like I would get blade splicer and be like, okay, I'll take this blade splicer. Next pick, like <laughs> Brago or something. I'm like, okay, Bro. well, everyone just wants me to draft this. I'll just draft it again. <laughs> so it felt yeah. very underdrafted, but also like ridiculously powerful. So like I screenshotted all my trophy decks right and i'm looking through them and they're almost all like blue white blink esper blink four color blink blue white blink <laughs> blue white no blink uh <laughs> like i think the key was blue like a lot of archetypes had powerful stuff in the late game because of the way the cube is built like there's cruel ultimatum and you know like there's big spells everyone's got these big spells Blue White Blink also has big, ridiculous spells like Agent of Treachery, uh, Angel of Serenity, stuff like this. But the key is what you're doing that not everyone is doing is you're building this giant board in the mid game. You're going like Blade Splicer, Resto Angel it, like Brago it every turn, Whirler Rogue, like you're getting through. And by the time they're casting their big stuff, they're dead or they're at like 10 or something. Yep. And you can just push through. And so it's, it felt like I was playing a beatdown deck for the format, you know, like I'm not playing right. goblin guides and stuff, but I definitely felt like I was constantly ahead on the board. But then you also have this like <clears throat> powerful toolbox of stuff in the late game. So do you sure. remember if that deck was a thing the first time around? Uh, it was. And I talked to David McDarby, the like cube maker, and he said it was the... I believe he said it was the like winningest archetype the first time around, and he tried to weaken it. But um, um, I think maybe he should weaken it a little more. <laughs> sounds like it. 
doesn't sound like other people drafted it that much. So maybe this is a this is more of a me problem than like you problem. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I actually have written in my show notes. So I drafted this format zero times. I was pretty busy the week that it was out. But uh, every time that I tuned into a stream, so I think it was either your stream or Jaybro's stream, I ended up watching a bit of both. You guys were always drafting blue, white, blink, like every single time. Both yeah. It's not my fault. It's just what was open. <laughs> yep. But I think like, I think it really says something because I mean, you guys were like two of the highest people on the trophy leaderboard. Um, I mm -hmm. mean, you're both really good players. It sounds like it's like a combination of maybe other people not wanting to play decks that affect the board. Maybe rather they'd rather just like draw cards and ramp that kind of thing. Yeah. But also, yeah, maybe it just <laughs> not having been weakened enough. I, uh, <laughs> since the first iteration somehow really what the people tried um i've played like four drafts i think and white was just always open yeah i, I don't really like, get it because there's so many good cards but blade splicers wheeling and yeah like very late uh what is the the angel called the blink angel resto uh restoration angel yeah resto. i i at one point made us i, I yeah, I made a spreadsheet of all the different blink effects so that I could remember them because a lot of them are different and they have like different targeting restrictions and stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, in my opinion, Blade Splicer type cards like Blade Splicer, Urza, Whirler Rogue, Angel of Invention, the, the triggered abilities that make creatures were very 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 good and also underdrafted they'll make artifact so. creatures too right like i don't <laughs> that might have just been a coincidence yeah. but <laughs> I, I would have boards where like i'd have 10 urza constructs and they're all 15 15s or something <laughs> like nice. it doesn't take many turns of doing that to to beat somebody i really think that that it's the winningest deck is not necessarily only because of the deck it's what people want to do when they head into this cube and what they remember from the first time around. And I don't know, like it's just splashier effect that people who don't care too much about winning go for first. And that's why mm -hmm. once you know this deck is good and you like to win, you just get drawn into it over and over again. And um, I can understand all people in these drafts. Like I can understand drafting that deck, but I can also understand just passing it because well, let's let's try to cast Cruel Ultimate. Yeah. Another point in favor of the blue-white tech, I think, is that it uses some... It can, like, cannibalize cards from other archetypes, like the blue-red spells archetype that is interested in casting time walks. The time walks are extremely good when you have a board full of Blade Splicer tokens and stuff. So Allrun's Epiphany uh, and Temporal Mastery were in a lot of my trophy decks. So just, like make some guys, take some extra turns, kill the opponent. <laughs> Seems good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also, Smuggler's Copter was, in my opinion, one of the best, like, in my, in my mind, there's, like, the infrastructure cards, like Signets and Fetches and Duels and stuff. Those are, like, the highest picks. But after that, the cards that actually do stuff, Smuggler's Copter was one of the best, I think. And Blue White Blink makes really good use of Smuggler's Copter because you have creatures to crew it, uh, people don't have a lot of flyers, so you're dealing them a lot of damage, and you're finding your synergies. So you use other people's archetype cards in addition to your own archetype cards. <laughs> right. I think Copter is probably just maybe just the best card in aggro and cube 
period, which I mean, it's a pretty huge claim. It's up there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also going back to Alrun's epiphany, this is not my idea whatsoever. This is entirely Jakob's idea, but it was like too, I don't know, amazing for me not to mention it here. It's a time walk and it makes flyers. Why is the flavor text not time flies? Just... That's a good one. There's no flavor text. And I was so sad when I realized it. I was looking for it. it There's not a lot of flavor text in Kaldheim. All the cards have a lot of rules. Text. That's true. <laughs> that's true, yes. But yeah, that's a good one. Maybe when they make the, the textless promo, uh, <laughs> like promo cryptic command style, all runs epiphany. They just put that. That's the only text. Right. So I remember reading, I think the first time around uh, for this cube, the article by David McDarby. And I'm pretty sure one of the things he'd said was like, aggro is not a thing here, or at least like traditional aggro. And that seems to be definitely what he intended. But what I'm wondering is like, at least like relative to the rest of the format, it sounds like this blue white blink deck was pretty aggressive, right? Like it's all about getting onto the board before yeah. your opponent. And I'm wondering whether you guys think that maybe, you know, weakening this deck wouldn't really be effective because at the end of the day, like white is always pretty much always going to be an aggressive color. So should white even like be a part of this cube or is that that like going too far? <laughs> it's funny because people talk about cutting white from like powered cubes because it's too bad. <laughs> and now we're talking about cutting it because it's too powerful. Um, I, I think there's always going to be like the cheapest cards in a cube. So even if it's not Goblin Guide that you're getting beaten down by, maybe it's Blade Splicer, maybe it's uh, Baragoth or something in this cube. I, I actually think I actually drafted a couple beatdown decks. Like one of my trophies that I'm looking at right here was a red black beatdown deck that had like Goblin Crater Maker, Mesmeric Fiend, Valky. Like it had two drops that could get on the board and Legion Warboss was still in this cube. So you could kill somebody if you play like a two drop and a three drop on the play right. and they're just going like signet signet dead <laughs> or something like, <laughs> you could still draft beatdown decks like there's a lot of three mana threats particularly that demand an answer uh not just in white but i don't know i, I like aggro personally you might be able to tell from <laughs> the type of decks i was talking about like death shadow and delver and stuff like I like these low to the ground tempo disruption decks. So I don't know. I was a fan of exactly the way the cube is built now. I think if I could change one card, I would probably cut Agent of Treachery because it is just such an overwhelming late game for an already yeah. good archetype, right? Like stealing one of your opponent's things for seven is usually like very game breaking already. But then if I have like a Brago on the board or a Gale Powder Mage or whatever, mm. uh, it immediately is stealing multiple things. And like, once you're stealing all your opponent's lands, <laughs> like, that's just a little bit out of control. <laughs> yeah, it sounds. But I like the rest of it. I don't know. I like the white blinky cards. Maybe cut Blade Splicer because it's a little too much too early. I don't know. I, I, I probably wouldn't change anything. I love this cube the way it is. <laughs> Makes sense. Who wouldn't, right? Um, yeah. All right. It's really fun. Jakob, do you have an uh, opinion? Yeah, I was um, thinking about that. I, I mean, I also do like this cube. I didn't draft this time around that much. 
I remember the first time around, I really loved the spell reanimator deck, and this time it just didn't come around to me. Like mm. I don't know. I feel like the the big payoff spells are fewer. Like I feel like there was in red, like like very big burn spells that burn for ten to the face when you reanimate them, stuff like that. I feel like they are all gone. <laughs> Maybe they were not good enough. Have you ever played with Soren's Vengeance? It's not in this game, but it's a it's a fun it one. Like it's a deal ten, gain ten. Yeah, that that's was that, it was it in the first time I, around? Was I it don't remember if it was, but that is the sort of card that I'm thinking of for this stuff you're talking about. But I, I it might have been. Yeah, there but it was like time. I don't remember a red card that just dealt ten to any target mm -hmm. for like nine miles well, or something like that. I don't remember. Oh, wind. searing wings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cards like that were in the cube the first time around, mm -hmm. and you could rely on getting them late for the spell reanimator thing. And I, I don't know. I think maybe there was more. There's a discard outlet. There might be a tension between he he tries to make the cube such that like when you execute your combo, the game doesn't just end. Like you don't just splinter twin pestermite your opponent and the game is over. Like when you do your combo, you get ahead, but you don't kill them. So that's kind of a hard balance to hit when you're trying to make the like burn you out combo deck powerful but also like not ending the game immediately that's a hard balance to hit you know what i mean sure yeah yeah maybe it's just because this was the thing i i like to do and uh, was yeah having getting wins with the first time around mm -hmm. that i tried it this time the first draft and then didn't really see the card so i felt like everything is new i don't know what i'm doing and i also drafted white a bunch this time I didn't quite get to the blue-white blink that much. I had one deck with Thassa, but I didn't have all too many blinking effects. So it was not very... Um, it was blue-white and it had Thassa, mm -hmm. but it didn't have all too much else that blinked. So it wasn't very focused in the blinking department. I almost never had Thassa <clears throat> somehow. I don't know. I think other people might have overvalued Thassa compared to how I valued her. That, that was almost never my like, blink outlet. But yeah, she is pretty... Pretty decent sometimes. Yeah, so what I was thinking is that what I really like is that while this might be the aggressive deck, it's still an aggressive deck with a theme. Yeah, it definitely still feels like you're comboing off sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and it makes it more interesting. Sure. Yeah. That's something that I dislike in most very basic cubes. That mm. oh yeah, the aggressive deck is the white aggressive deck and the red aggressive deck. And what do you want? You want all of the one drops. I never draft the white aggressive yeah. deck in regular cube. It is so boring and lame. <laughs> I'm not here to draft like 10 Savannah Lions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so like that's what I like in a lot of the peasant cube lists. I see where almost everything has a theme. I mean, it comes with other disadvantages, but I do like it if, it, if it's the aggressive deck, but it has a thing going for it that is making it different from other cube environments. I think blue-white blink, speaking of peasant cube, was a really powerful archetype in like a Maz's cube, if I remember correctly. But it wasn't the aggressive thing. Right, that's true. It was all about like cloud blazers and like <laughs> ephemerates, I think. I was going to say though, going back to uh, the thing I had said earlier about just cutting white entirely, I think that that probably isn't the best solution, kind of for the reasons uh, you mentioned, Boland, but um, more so just because thinking about like what people are there to do, I don't think most people are really there to win. I think most people are there to like turtle and have fun and try to cast like yeah. uh, spells that are like seven mana or more. And, you know, 
if they have fun doing that, if they go like two, one, one, two, whatever it is, then like great for them. If they are like two, oh, and then they face like you or Jbro in the finals and they get wrecked by blue, white, blink. The solution is then run it back with blue, white, blink, right? Like it'll probably be open. So I think that, um, you know, it might've been like a seemingly like problematic archetype in terms of like win rate or something, but I guess it's really about like what people are hoping to get out of drafting it. So. Yeah. I suspect if you, if you had like a cube invitational tournament where this was the format and you had eight people who were like really trying to win, this would not be a problematic archetype. Probably one person would get it or two people would get it or something. But in the queues on Moto, you're right. Like I, I'm trying to win. I'm out here trying to like get trophies and crush people because that's how I like to play magic. But <laughs> um, not everyone is playing like that. So not everyone is drafting the same way. So they're not fighting me for the like efficient. They're not trying to go like Blade Splicer into Whirler Rogue and then attack a bunch. They're trying to go Signet, 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 Cruel Ultimatum or something. I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had a, a great game this time around where um, I had a Stunham Unleashed in Exile and like had ramped a bit. I had uh, in my hand Elspeth Conqueror's Death. And I had... Elspeth Conqueror's Death's another banger from this cube. It's so good. <laughs> It is very good, yeah. yes. And I had Primeval Titan, and I had in my hand also uh, the cat making thing of plus one, plus one on Felidar your team retreat. for Felidar. Ah, Felidar retreat. Mm. I was thinking about feline <laughs> retreat. Felidar, yes. So I thought, well, I can't really lose this game. I'll I play my Primeval Titan this turn, and then next turn I make a bunch of cats, make everything huge, mm. or I make a million angels. Mm. So I cast my Primeval Titan, searched for two lands, and my opponent at the end of turn played this instant speed clone with... Uh, yeah, that's a, with that's a good one. Double, maybe? <laughs> they, cascaded, oh, they cascaded into Felidar oh. Retreat. <laughs> and got... <laughs> <laughs> Is this combo then they untap. Then they untap and cast um, Avenger of Seneca. Wow. Sounds like they so, lived the dream. They did live the dream. And I had my was staring at my head where I thought, they have nothing on board. I have a million mana and can make all of the creatures. I have answers to their permanence. Even if they're wrath, I would still make a million angels. But it was I lost it that that turn. Yeah. <laughs> that that crazy. instant speed clone, Sakashima's protege, yeah. was also in a bunch of my blue white decks and just my other decks. I think that card is really good and a little bit like slept on because people don't really know what it is. Like it's from Commander, so the I had some sick yeah. plays with it. Like you can, I had one turn where I cloned. I had cloned Watcher of the Beyond or whatever. It's like a two one hideaway a card. I had cloned that with Sakashima's Proje. So I momentarily blinked the Sakashima's Proje to get the card that I had hidden away. And then I used the Proje to copy my bounce land that had just come into play and then bounce itself. So now it was in my hand again. <laughs> like I was I was just going nuts on my opponents <laughs> with that card. It can copy lands, like it can it can really do everything. The gameplay of that card is just really fun because like the base mode is you try to cascade into something cool and then copy that. But 
if your opponent casts something good, you can copy their thing. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it has really good like play patterns too. It's really uh, satisfying card to play with. Sounds awesome. I mean, I wasn't mad at all when I lost this. This was just so great, just a perfect hit and doing what I planned to do. But I hope you revealed. Well, you you were right that uh, they were going to win the game. <laughs> it's just you were hoping they'd be on your side. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do hope you revealed hand after just to show that, like, yeah, if it hadn't gone their way, you had the retreat. You were about to do the same thing. But that's something that's a bit weird. Did they fix it in the meantime on MTGO that you can now see what people have put in exile with uh, Fort Fortel? Uh, as far as I know, you still don't see it. It still doesn't work quite properly because it's supposed to be like morph, right? If they end the game with a morph yeah. face down at the end of the game, it reveals it and puts it in the chat. But uh, yeah. and it's, I believe it does not work like that on Moto right now, still. Yeah, and it's definitely not intentional because on Arena yeah. it does work. I mean, and it is supposed to work, like in the rules, right. <laughs> in the paper, yeah. paper rules. But, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, but it could have been that they said, "Oh, I'll, we only have this rule for paper because." to stop people from cheating and they can't on our platform, yeah. so we only do it in paper or something. It's definitely not intentional because like, it's different on the platforms. The two different ones. You lose some info. Like if you beat them while they have a foretold card, you you, sh you are entitled to like know what that was so you can play around it for the next game, like in the rules. But it's not it's not yeah. that big a deal. Like I've played a bunch of Kaldheim on, on Moto and it's not like, it's not that tilting. <laughs> only a little, no, it's a little bit. Tilting. It's okay, but... It's the new set, so there normally they are pretty quick with fixes. with fixing stuff. But I guess people people are not uh, filing for uh, compensation so much. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe you just file if every if ever a game ends with a foretold or the foretold card face down, just file for comp. <laughs> if everyone starts doing that, maybe they'll take notice. Sure. There's a joke yeah. um, on like Arena about how like few players actually check the like revealed like foretell zone after the game, like after game one, because apparently like almost no one actually does that. <laughs> Well, sometimes you're only playing one game, so it doesn't really matter. Right, true. I was talking about best <laughs> yeah. of three, though. Um, yeah. I did even check it in best of one sometimes. <laughs> yeah, because when I feel like like they have to have something there, like no card that I can think of makes sense, and I really want to know, like, what am I missing? Just sure. Yeah. To learn the format, I guess. But, one other archetype. I was reminded of this because. It, it often played this foretell card, but there was a blue-white foretell angel in the Live the Dream cube. I think it's called Ethereal Valkyrie. Mm -hmm. It, uh, whenever it comes into play or attacks, you draw a card and then foretell a card from your hand, and then it makes it two mana cheaper. Uh, I often put that in my blue-white blink decks, obviously because it's blue-white. <laughs> but it also went in my ramp decks just because it's like a big payoff that draws you cards, and I wanted to highlight probably my second favorite archetype after blue-white is like four to five color ramp. So ideally you get a Lotus Cobra. That's like the key card for this archetype. But I, I think Lotus Cobra is up there with like Smuggler's Copter as far as bomb low drops that you can really build your deck around. Obviously needs more attention to build around it than Smuggler's Copter does. But if you just draft Lotus Cobra and a ton of fetches, there's cards like Omnath uh, that just go nuts. Uh, any Planeswalker, usually I'd like to have as many five mana Planeswalkers as possible. The Time Walks are also extremely good in this archetype too. 
And then you get just insane late drops like Maelstrom Wanderer and Hydra Crisis and Ethereal Valkyrie. I don't know, stuff like that. Prophetic Bolt is good in this type of archetype too. So you just draft like as many duels, as many triomes particularly, and as many fetches as you can and uh, signets and stuff. And yeah, you just that, that's a really fun way to play this Live the Dream Cube as well. Well, that's the way to do it properly, but I feel like not everybody. <laughs> yeah. I feel like 60% of the decks I faced or saw people play was something like three to five color ramp. Some with good fixing, who drafted like you just said, and some who just, I don't know. You let the fixing work itself out later. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> The um, Ethereal Valkyrie really reminds me of like Arcane Artisan in terms of having like a weird kind of twist on looting where like instead of just yeah. like discarding a card, yeah, you just, you know, either put something into play or get closer to putting something into play. Looting something into the Fortel Zone is often really powerful if you can like jump your curve, if you can like loot uh, Allrun's Epiphany or Maelstrom Wanderer or something and play it. On the cheap next turn it's a huge tempo swing right so do we move on to the cons of tarkir flashback sure right uh, so we just had this format the week before the live the dream cube which was just before i got really busy again so i haven't streamed for some number of months uh, before this but i actually yeah i did fire up a stream and I uh, ended up doing pretty well. I had a few trophies in a row like prior to this format uh, from like Vintage Masters, Teamwork Cube. Uh, but then in this format, I trophied, let's see, I think it was like four times and then 2 one a few times as well. And I don't know, I, nice. yeah, I, I haven't played a ton of this format, but <laughs> just like getting to a really good win rate felt pretty nice. I did feel like even though is possibly one of the best draft formats ever. I was kind of a little skeptical uh, <laughs> toward the end that the archetypes were all balanced. Uh, I mean, you mentioned like Abomination of Gadul, Boland, and one of the decks. Yeah. I drafted this like almost mono white deck uh, with a ton of like Outlast and just, you know, really fun synergies. That was like my last draft. And I got crushed by this Soul Tide deck. I was going to say, I hear a butt coming. <laughs> um, I mean, the Soul Tide deck that I like lost to, it was, I think it was just easily the best deck I've seen in this format, like including the coverage I've watched, anything like that. It was just like amazing delve cards. And they had like the Sidisi, and it would just go to like under five cards in library every game basically draw and mill their entire deck and then just like kill me spectacularly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little, I mean, as much as I like this format, I feel like it's well balanced and there aren't too many like on rares that just win the game single-handedly. I do think Sultai is probably just much better than the other like wedges. If you can put it together well. Yeah. I was just thinking about what were the biggest bombs in the format. It was like Wing Matrock, probably. Dune Blast comes to mind. Yeah. Ah, Dune Blast, yeah. Wing Mate might be better because it's monocolored, but yeah, Wing Mate is insane. Did you guys play this the first time around, or have you just played Flashbacks? I've mostly played it the first time around. Bunch online and Bunch on paper. Flashbacks, mm -hmm. not so much. 
opposite for me. <laughs> I love this format, and but I agree that the uh, like greedy multicolor pile decks often like base bug, but could be base Abzan stuff like that are probably the best decks. My favorite deck to draft is usually just four colors or five colors. Like take a bunch of the tap lands, particularly the tri lands, if you can get them, and just play the bombiest bombs. You can always land some gray ogres in the beginning and then things right. figure themselves out. The the fact that morphs and like banners are free to pick up while you're drafting basically means that you don't have to worry too much about like living. <laughs> you can live to cast your spells. Yeah. You just gotta make sure your spells are really, really good. The banners are really interesting because I mean people value tri lands like insanely highly. People value like the you know gain lands pretty highly. But nobody wants banners. Exactly. These banners they just don't fit into the curve at all. Like the fixing is welcome, but it's so hard to put them in somewhere there. And that's what made like this the DC's plans or the trade of mystery so much better that you could fit them in before you started playing the morphs. Yeah, going trail of mysteries into morph is just so good because you're getting card advantage, you're fixing yourself, and then it also is like tempo on the board of God, now I can't block this morph because if they flip it, it gets plus two, plus two. Like it's it's really tough to navigate. Yeah, trail's a great card. Yeah, so any two mana ramp would probably be very nice or fixing. Something like a far seek would have been insane in that format. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or um prismatic lens. Sure. Yeah, I think they, they probably could have juiced the, the banners a little bit more, made them maybe uncommon, make them a little better somehow. But it's tough to say because it's hard to it's hard to hit that balance between like playable but not like bomb must pick. Yeah, but it's I guess it's also nice that it's just to have very bad fixing there for if something goes wrong and you really <laughs> want to fix. Yeah, you can still get something late. Like not every fixing needs to be great. I probably play a banner in like a quarter of my decks or something. And do I ever play the second banner? Yeah, something would have had to go real wrong for me to want to play a second banner. I can't think of a deck recently where I played two. It would have to be a situation where I'm playing like full blown five colors, like Jeskai and Abzan, and <laughs> don't have enough fixing. I don't know. It's it's not a good situation once you're playing two, <laughs> in my opinion. What do you think um, for cube design? I got this idea from talking right now. If you have a like decently maybe modern powered cube and you have um, shock lands as good fixing, maybe fetch lands. Would you think it's a good idea to include some very bad fixing so that it would not be a high pick but goes around the table later? Uh, some some so, lands like Glacial Fortress uh, are kind of like that in my mind, right? Like the, the non-fetchable duels or like Raging Ravine or something. Any duel that's not fetchable, like nobody's really taking that unless they're in those colors. So that might be like the equivalent of what you're talking about. I'm not yeah. as big of a fan of those but yeah, like making it right like worse like actively making it worse like not choosing <laughs> the not choosing the the best options for your lands but just choosing the two-thirds of the best and then some like really bad ones so that people know that they will go late like is that interesting for a format or is that just making your cube worse it, it could be interesting i think you have to make fixing and like card drawing and removal and stuff, really, really, really bad before people like don't want to play them anymore. People go nuts for <laughs> like fixing. 
I don't know. You could put like unknown shores in your cube and people would probably play it a lot. Yuck. <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> no, but I mean, maybe this new, the, the veil, the new, um, what is it? What is the veil? Snowland. Yeah. Yeah. The, the new slow land where. Oh, yeah. Those are, those are at least fetchable too. Maybe those are a good, a good level. They're not quite triumphs, but if you had any like snow synergies, it'd be kind of cool. But they're mostly coastal tower, but <laughs> probably still play a lot. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I way too often um, think about what could be advantages of making cards worse. Like, I think I got that idea from from Max from your from your peasant cube, where some of the gold cards are not necessarily there to drive you into the archetype, but they are for once you are there to get playables later. Yeah, um, that was a <laughs> a thought I had at one point, and I think that like it is valid to some extent. I think. That kind of design works better in regular sets of magic than cubes just because you have like rarity and stuff to mess around with but i mean i think it's something you can do um and i agree too with what you were saying boland about like people take the fetches and fetchable duels like super highly in cubes but if it's just like a fast land or something yeah and you know you can get those pretty late uh, one of the things I really like about this format, we haven't been, I mean, we've been talking a lot about banners, but I think the fixing is like very well done. Uh, like I think the tri-lands are, I mean, they're amazing, uh, of course. And I think the like gain lands are also really nice. It's also a little bit that they're not quite strictly worse than the tri-lands. So like if you're looting or something, like you have a tiny bit more interesting of a decision. And yeah, I would say banners, like, Yes, they could be better, and they would get played more often. I'm not really sure whether they need to be. No, they probably don't need to be. No. And I don't know. I think one of the things this format does really well is you can take gold cards early without feeling like there's no chance you'll play them. Like, sure, you're more likely to play, I don't know, like Ghost Fireblade or whatever, which just makes your deck every single time, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, like... You can first pick a tricolored card and not be like skeptical that it will end up in your deck. I don't know. I think just like the payoffs for being these really neat like multicolored decks work really well in this format. The thing you were saying about the life gain lands, it very in a very, very small way fixes your mana a little bit more by making the game go longer. Like if you get an extra draw step because you gained like two life. Sometimes that'll happen. <laughs> you might like you might find the other color you need or something. Like I've definitely won games at very, very low life. I've won at like one or two life after gaining like three life with the lands. And I always think about that. I'm like, huh, I wouldn't even be alive right now if it weren't for like jungle hollow or whatever it's called. Is with or without a death shadow in play? Uh, you know, I like to be at low life either way. <laughs> It's usually better with the death shadow, but I always I used to say all the time that uh, Matt, I love being at one because it makes magic really easy. Like, should I block this attacker? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> should I counter this lava spike? Yes, definitely. <laughs> being at one is like you're in this Zen state, you know. <laughs> Everything is black and white. That's that's a very cool uh, viewpoint. <laughs> I like that. What's your what's your guys' favorite like er, early pick non rare like 
I mentioned Abomination of Good Duel, but like, what do you guys get really stoked on when you when you draft it in this format? If you could think of one, the name is slipping my mind right now, but possibly the best uncommon in the format, the uh, Abzan five drop. That's a four four that puts um, oh, two count. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, what is that guy's name? Armament Master or something? Armament? Armament Maybe Core? Armament Core? Yeah. yeah, that card, that's a good pick for sure. That's bonkers. That card, I love that card. But whenever I see it go late, it just makes me so sad because it's usually like too late for me to try to pivot or splash it. But yeah, I mean, if that I can't... card wheels and you're a Jeskai or something, it's like, oh man, what have I done? <laughs> I've also had like really like little success with Jeskai. Like every Jeskai deck I drafted, good or not, like 2-1 compared to <laughs> like, I think maybe every non, no, there's there one Jeskai deck that I drafted that didn't trophy or I think all my non Jeskai decks trophied. <laughs> anyway. It's tough to hit the like ratio for Jeskai, right? Cause you need lands, you need like removal spells and card drawing and stuff and you need creatures, but then the creatures also have like prowess a lot of the time. so they turn on like when you have these other spells. So you kind of need in your deck and in each of your draws in game, you need like a ratio of all these things. And a lot more stuff has to go right for Jessica to work out than like Abzan, where you're just like, I drew some creatures and some removal spells and it's good. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's very true. I think I'm not saying the like perfect Jeskai deck can't exist. I played against it. They like killed me in one turn with flying crane technique. But uh... I was about to say all my good Jeskai decks had like a bomb rare, like flying crane technique or Crater's Claws or something. I do think that that might be like when you're supposed to end up in Jeskai. Like you really need like an incentive at a higher rarity. Yeah. I think that's true. People used to say that Mardu was the worst all the time. Like Mardu was a joke kind of at the time, <laughs> but uh, I'm a lot more scared. Like the card I was going to say is like a high pick is the three mana two, three that makes a token if you had raid. So like it really incentivizes you to play a two drop and then play this guy and you have this giant board and it's a two, three. Oh, so yeah. it brawls with morphs. Mardu Horchi or something? Yeah. What's it called? Yeah. yeah Mardu Horchi. And any of the like Mardu beatdown cards can just get you so ahead on tempo that I think Mardu was kind of like slept on maybe a little bit the first time around. People are appreciating it now in, in flashbacks. Yeah, that's I drafted a fair amount of Mardu. Um, I think trophied with it a couple times and drafted a ton of Horde Chiefs. Yeah. One thing that I didn't love about that is like it's just competing with morphs and you're going to like kind of end up with morphs. Like, this format is so light on good two drops, right? And it kind of has to be because, I mean, yeah. how else are you going to make morphs work? That said, I would still, like, take a, you know, horde chief over, like, a half-decent morph every time. It's just, like, knowing that three drops are, like, so much higher in supply that makes me like it a little bit less. The the Mardu four drop orc whose name also escapes me, but if you have raid, he rituals you for Mardu mana. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing can also get you really ahead on tempo, right? Like, let's say you go two drop, and then Horde Chief make a two one and a one one, and then next turn you play, you attack with everybody, make a three three ritual and play like a morph two. That's just so unbeatable for a lot of decks. They might have just played like a tap land and a morph or something. And you've got like five creatures to their 2-2. Two -two. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing I, I tried to do a lot of. I drafted a lot of the, uh, I think it's a 
called Marty Warshrieker. Um That yep. sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, um, so for me, the card that I remember loving back in the day, at least when, when I drafted paper, was Wooly um, Loxodon. Is it Wooly Loxodon? Oh, yeah. The green uh, big morph. I don't know. I love that guy. Um, I'm trying to remember. So it's a, it's like a 6-4 or something? It's a 6-7. No, six, six, seven. Seven. Oh, 6-7. Yeah, yeah. Morph for 6. Mono yeah. green, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The mono green morph really looks good. Or you can cast for 7 as a 6-7. I really love that. I don't know. Like, It was bigger than all the other morphs, so I just really like that I could just jam it into other morphs. And you know you're going to win no the matter as yeah, no matter what's the unmorph, I will win the fight. Or if it's another bully locks done on their side, they will just bounce. Yeah, it's a good point. Party it's a cool one. <laughs> and then the card that when I played in the flashbacks now with, with Max once, that was somewhat then after in one game always on my mind. And I really remember loving that. I think I loved it also in uh, M21, Feet of Resistance. Like, Oof, yeah, that card is such a blowout. It, it's so crazy. I, I don't know. It's, it does so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you put it in your Jeskai decks because it's. I mean, obviously a great spell. You put it in your Mardu decks because it's a great aggro card. You put it in your Abzan decks because it's a good counter card. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. Very... <laughs> it, it it's like a God's willing that can also just. You don't even need them to really cast a spell or anything. You can just like make your three three beat their three three in combat. Sometimes like it's, it's a a banger of a spell for sure. And. Like yeah. it's so much better in uh, Khans than it uh, was in M21. Maybe not in the strength compared to the format, but um, it does so many more things because also the protection <clears throat> is so much more relevant when everything has three colors. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Unless, uh, unless you're <laughs> playing against colorless stuff, right? But there's a lot of morphs. Yeah, I morphs. The plus one plus one is not only enough, but right. I think some that's of the not where it's used most often. Some of the removal spells, like. Um... Hail of Arrows and Throttle and stuff are also really expensive. So if you're blowing out their five mana spell and pumping your guy, like it's so good. <laughs> okay, so I guess now moving on to the Modern Horizons flashback. So yeah, this, I mean, at the time of recording, uh, this format is on uh, Magic Online. I'm pretty sure it's uh, non-Phantom only, which I think they're calling like an encore uh, draft. You can do both. You can do either. Really? I'm looking okay. at it right now. Yeah. The normal okay. ones cost 25 tickets or 250 play points. And the phantom ones are like cube. They're 100 play points or awesome. 10 tickets. Oh, I'm very happy to be wrong about that. I thought for sure, <laughs> uh, just like from the announcement, I saw that it was uh, non phantom only. But especially after Vintage Masters, which was phantom only, I figured that. Yeah, like, that was sad. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's such a huge draw to playing that format. Like, you know the possibility of opening like the original art power nine I, I did that once i opened uh the like sick alpha time twister and i thought it was like a bug or something i'd never seen one of those in one of those packs i was like what's going on isn't that is, isn't there a vma art of this card why am i looking at the like og art i wish it had been non-phantom so i could have kept that card but rip yeah. <laughs> i uh i'm a little luckier than you i got an ancestral recall and <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> well, the best part is I got to keep it. So, uh, yeah, that was like 
60, 70 tickets or something at the time. And I was just yeah. like, well, well, I mean, I guess I'll, <laughs> I guess I'll take this card. Still have that draft somewhere up on YouTube. Anyway. It's it was, not a bad limited card either. Yeah. <laughs> no, it turns out it's decent. Yeah. I thought for sure, because I figure you only choose to bring back VMA as non-phantom. If you're worried about not having enough players, like, split amongst like the two leagues but hearing that like modern horizons is you know split across the two leagues i'm pretty happy to hear that i think that's the way it should be even if you know the queues take a little longer to fire it looks like more people are playing the non-phantom the trophy leader in non-phantom has 12 and the trophy leader in phantom only has seven but it's still kind of a decent amount of people sure i just don't Um, understand when they choose which option i don't quite understand and i don't, don't think they give us a reason but yeah whatever uh mtg economy i don't know <laughs> like, yeah, I, don't. I think they really don't care that much <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would think that they would though like particularly with something like vma where it seems like you would get way more people potentially playing it if you offered like a non-phantom option but um like for instance i only did one uh, VMA draft this time around, and I had a bunch of fun. I think I would have, I don't know, felt like compelled to do more or something if <laughs> if there was a chance of like getting another, you know, original art power nine card. But yeah, in Modern Horizons, speaking of, you know, non-phantom just opening expensive cards, there are a lot of really good hits. Usually the stuff drops in price quite a bit when these flashbacks happen. And I'm sure that's happening right now too, but uh, even still if you like Onto goat bots or something and check prices. There are a ton of rares that are like around 10 bucks, and being able to pick up one of those and like pay for just under half your draft is really awesome. And speaking of paying for your draft, one option that you can sometimes do with these flashback drafts that uh, not everyone knows about is you can trade for the booster packs. So I think it's like mm. three, yeah, MH1 packs for tickets to enter these uh, non-phantom drafts and you can usually get them from some bots for a little cheaper uh, than like the total price of like 25 tickets or whatever it is like half off yeah that's a good life hack anyway i haven't drafted this format uh this time around but i'm looking forward to playing it maybe even today (laughs) after we record i don't know yeah i Uh, i'm looking right now and and you're right the most the most expensive card in the format is a rare force negation it's 80 tickets right now yeah. <laughs> yeah, then if you wait a little bit after it's uh, the flashback is gone, the price will go up, I think. Probably. I mean, that card still sees a ton of play in Modern and Legacy and all, all the old formats. Not normally a financial advice podcast, but uh, if you're playing... <laughs> we can make uh, an exception. Right. If you're playing, if you're drafting this format, you know, if you have the tickets lying around, make sure to cash them in for some packs, and then if you... Uh, open some expensive rares. Do not sell them right away. Yeah, we can sell them soon, but not necessarily immediately. Just while it's online, understandably the prices are a bit lower. The modern like meta is also kind of like in flux right now because of all the bans. So some cards like uh, Plague Engineer are seeing more play, and Renin Six because like Jund is on the rise. So those might also go up naturally with just being played more. That makes sense. 
Um, yeah, anything else you guys want to say about this format? Boland, have you drafted it at all this time around? Uh, I haven't yet. I'm, I will also be doing it later today on my stream, in fact. But I'll, I'll be probably doing it for the next few days as long as it's up and hopefully getting a feel for it. I've only done a few of these before, so I don't have like a lot of insight on the format. I know that Snow and Ninjas are considered like Tier 1 archetypes yeah. to draft. The Oracle really loves the Black Red deck, mm -hmm. which has many different flavors. Uh -huh can be a goblin, oh. tribal, can be a sacrifice theme. Um, Interesting. I'll try that one. <laughs> Do you think that Black Red is, like, quietly one of the better decks? Um, I think the trophy leader the first time around was, like, super high on Black Red um, and just, like, playing, like, a putrid goblin, like, 2-mana two 2-2 two -two persist on turn 2, as opposed to, you know, playing, like, the black strategic planning, for instance, which... Or the talisman or something. Right, yeah, exactly. Talismans go pretty late in that format. That's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> kind of sad. We're, we're cubers here. We know about signets. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, so, I mean, Snow and Ninjas, I think, are two of the most popular and successful archetypes, but it's nothing like the um, Supreme format, where it's, like, literally those two decks, and anything else you play, like, just won't stand up to them. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I think Snow like was a really, really great deck to draft, uh, especially the first time around. But I imagine now with so many people <laughs> drafting it in Caltime, you probably they know about can. Snow now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, not only that, but also just it doesn't feel so exciting anymore. Like when you get it in the standard legal set, just in the draft format you drafted the last three weeks, then drafting Snow in this one, like not so different. <laughs> But they're full it's art awesome. snowlands this time. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but no snow duels. No snow mm. duels. Speaking Duel. of ninjas in this format, what, what do you guys think of Fallen Shinobi in cube? Have you guys played with, with that card or against that card? I have. Much? I have played both with it and against it. Like the first time it was in the vintage cube on MTGO, I really picked it a little bit too high and really enjoyed it because, like, the highs are so high, but yeah. I think actually it's not worth it. But it's a fun card, so... Uh, I'm of the opinion that it's one of the like most slept-on cards when it's, when it's in these cubes. Like, it was in the Live the Dream cube, and it's in the Vintage cubes, usually. I, I see it, like, six... I, I see it late in the packs. Uh, and I think... Maybe it's just the way that I draft, but it goes with cards like Vendillion Click and Brazen Borrower and cards I'm already trying to play so, so powerfully. Like, it converts having a 3-1 flyer into like you're dead in a turn or two type of advantage. I really, really think that card is good. <laughs> in Vintage cube I'm, cube, I'm not so sure. There it's like much more dependent on the matchup and... Yeah, I mean, not, not everyone's going to have like an Ember Cool for you to hit, but... <laughs> like, it's a little bit harder to fit in because like Black does not really offer all too much. It's just really the blue aggressive fish creatures and then you don't have all too many of them. I don't know, like, I feel like it puts you a little bit in a direction that's not all too well supported in, vintage, in the MTGO Vintage Cube. That's, but I can see fair. it being amazing. In... Particularly if you get it early, though, you can, you can like, go into that archetype. But, yeah, it, that is fair. It doesn't go into, like, really, like, a sneak attack deck or a mono green deck. It doesn't go into, like, a lot of the best archetypes, really. 
eher ein Blue Black Offness Reanimator doesn't go in that and also not yeah. really for a hard control deck. So yeah, but I do like the card. Like I just think it's not amazing in Village Cube, and you could argue to cut it on power level. I think. The, the first time I played with it, I thought it was like uh, Thief of Sanity or something where you had to pay for the cards. And then I like clicked it and it was just like cast for free. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm just casting all this stuff for free. Yeah, that must have been a good feeling. I do think <laughs> it's one of the best rares in um, in Modern Horizons. I, mean, I could believe that. Yeah. I like a lot of the reprints for Constructed. I don't know. Forgotten Cave, Lava Dart. There's some good ones. <laughs> That's do you it. think? It's a great set. I'm looking forward to uh, Modern Horizons 2 for sure this year. Oh, as a modern player, mostly, I'm <laughs> a little scared, but as long as they don't, as long as they're willing to ban liberally, like ban Hogak type breaking the format cards, then it, it'll be fine. But yeah, it's all scary. Yeah. Are you, are you one of the players who uh, like a regular shakeup in the formats you play? Um, or do you prefer it if it's a bit more stable over a longer time? I like it if it's a little more stable. I don't want every set to massively shake up every format. You know, that's just yeah. too too much, I think. But I do like when they ban or unban stuff in like a kind of solved metagame or when they release a set like Modern Horizons and it shakes it up. That is fun. And like this week playing Modern is so much more fun than the last year or so, you know, where it's been pretty stale. But now that they've shaken up the format with adding a new set and doing a bunch of bands in a in a lot of different formats, I, I do. I don't know. It's a mix. It, I think it shouldn't be shaken up for too too often, but I also think it gets boring if it's stale for years. That's kind of a cop out answer. That's but... <laughs> <laughs> fair, though. Oh, I mean, yeah. so very reasonable it... answer. But I don't play constructed much, so I was uh, interested in what you had to say there. I like my decks to remain somewhat playable over time if you like add or change a few cards. I don't like when a new set comes out and, oh, my deck is entirely invalidated. That's <laughs> Yeah. I mean, as it's a cube builder, I sometimes have the feeling like um, ban all the cards. The more cards banned, the better, because it drops the prizes. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like Jakob, I <laughs> virtually played no constructed. And uh, it is interesting like to hear, you know, where you come from on that. And it makes a lot of sense too. I think <laughs> you would be a lot more like wary about like modernizing <laughs> here than like I would be. We got a few banned cards out of it already, like Astrolabe and uh, <laughs> Hogak come to mind. Right. But if maybe they cool it on the power level a tiny bit, like the lower tier playables from that set are still super playable, like Factor Fiction, Lava Dart, the like Horizon Canopy, Sack Duels. Cool. Yeah, there's some cool like lower tier, more innocuous playables. <laughs> they don't have to be as in your face as Hogak and Urza. One thing I worry about is that I don't really know if Wizards is capable at this point. Like, given where card design is <laughs> of like not printing <laughs> and like it is funny, of but cooling it, pumping the brakes. Yeah, like, and I'm not saying it's their fault exactly. Like, the image that comes to my mind is some like Hasbro exec saying like you need to push push the envelope like you know all the way <laughs> and suddenly even in you know a set that seems relatively fair i guess like Caldheim, we have like tibalt's trickery and you know regular tibalt and just like a ton of bands like super yeah. fast like barely what was it like two weeks into that set or something so 
I don't know, the idea of a set that's skipping standard being error somehow, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I guess if I were a constructed player, I would also be pretty anxious. <laughs> what, what would you guys think if I told you like five years ago that multiple Tybalt cards were like breaking modern? <laughs> <laughs> Tybalt was just a literal joke for so long. Yeah. I mean, I still his revenge. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, it is very funny that, you know, two of the most broken cards, like, do have Tybalt in the name. It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm just glad that they got rid of those from the format with the cascade rule change and a banning. I think it's okay to push the envelope like that as long as you are willing to bring the hammer down when you need to. Yeah. Short flashback to earlier in the episode. Tibalt's trickery is in the Lift the Dream Cube, right? Did you see anybody do something I, with it? I cast it on my opponent's um, giant thing. They, I tweeted it. Let me even find, let me find exactly what I countered. I can tell you in like 30 seconds. Here we go. It was a... Countering makes me feel like whatever you flipped into couldn't have been that much worse. <laughs> so they villainous wealth me for 10. Uh, I had boarded my Tibalt's trickery in, in my black red Revelark sacrifice mayhem double deck because they were the like giant X spells deck. Uh, and they flipped a bloom tender off of it. And then I won. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Broken card. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's way more fun when you're using it for that mode. I think they should have just made it only counter opponents' spells. I think that's a pretty clear, like, fix. Because that mode is really yeah. fun and cool. Like, that was an awesome moment of, like, I got you with my counter spell in red. <laughs> it's a lot less yep. cool when you're, like, countering your own... I'll counter my own violent outburst. I'll put this Ember Cool onto the stack. Like, that's just pretty lame. <laughs> Seems like we have erratas, like, pretty rarely, right? Like the last one I can think of would be like companions where suddenly you have that like spe special action to like put them into your hand. But it feels like that really could have worked here, right? Like just put errata, yeah. like counter target spell you don't control or whatever. And then, you know, maybe it's actually a pretty fun card. They're really like against the idea of the cards secretly doing different things than they say in paper. But I well, think that, yeah, they could change that policy. And I think that would, probably cool they are against it but um, in foreign languages it happens way more often that they need to errata the card basically or i mean their first first day errata <laughs> there, there was a, a english first day errata in call time do you guys do you guys know what it is a misprint no i don't know what yeah, it is. it's uh the blue god alrund he is supposed to you're supposed to like name land for his trigger and then you like look at the top two and you put lands in your hand. But as written on the card, if you name land, he like bounces all the lands from in play into your hand or something. <laughs> like <laughs> they, they forgot to word that one like quite right. <laughs> That's so, only uh, really uh, uh, right. I mean, if you get the Sakashima's protege and then you copy a land and then you, <laughs> you outrun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. That <laughs> I also, speaking of Alrund, I didn't know for a long time, like I was probably 10 drafts in of drafting a lot of blue-white blink in that Live the Dream Cube before I realized that if you play Haka the Raven and then blink it, it comes back as Alrund on the, the big side. I didn't yeah, even know that, but it does. <laughs> you don't have a choice. It always goes you, to the front side, You right? don't have a choice. Yeah, it always blinks back as the, the front side. 
pretty powerful little interaction. So like what you can do is you can attack, put the Raven's trigger on the stack. So it's going to scry and bounce itself. Uh, you can put that trigger on the stack and then like ephemerate it or momentary blink it or restoration angel it or whatever. It comes back as Allrend, and then you still get to do the scry trigger. And then you like name with Allrend at the end of the turn. So sick interaction. Allrend was very, very, very good in that, in that cube. Well, I'm glad you like that interaction because um, <laughs> I'm the one who told you that. <laughs> oh, I, I knew. I was about to say somebody told me on the stream, but <laughs> I'm glad it was you. That's amazing. It's a good interaction. Yeah. So whoever told me that in the chat is really smart. <laughs> I mean, sometimes. The other time I'm like failing to read cards all the way, just like I'm doing that. But I like to think that I make fewer mistakes than, I don't know, than the average person. So It's a good one. Um, as long as we all make our own mistakes, then uh... right. the best part of streaming is that when you make mistakes, a bunch of people can see you make the mistakes. <laughs> yeah, but if you keep track, like the people in the chat make uh, like per person also as many mistakes. And... Yeah. The other day, someone suggested that I call against command my opponent to like shoot them for two and make them discard when they had a Leyland of Sanctity in play. So yeah, it's mm. not always. They're not always. It didn't perfect. work, right? <laughs> it didn't work. No. <laughs> Okay, so I guess next up we're talking about, speaking of wording changes too, we have some Strixhaven cards, both the command cycle and we have some, I don't remember what the cards are called, but they have fancy new art, they're sweet reprints, they're very like masterpiece-esque, uh, but I think it's one per pack. And the ones we've seen are like Opt, Swords to Plowshares, uh, Demonic Tutor, I think. You guys yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Are they one per regular pack, or are they just in like collector's packs or some sort of like deviant kind of booster pack? Or are they just in the regular packs too? I don't actually know. Almost certain it's just one of those per pack, which is wow. pretty amazing. I mean, granted, I don't think every pack will have a swords or a demonic tutor, but um, even just a fancy art opt would be sweet. So I looked it up. Max, you were right. There is one. In its dedicated slot in each draft booster, each set booster, and at least three in each collector booster. Oh, wow. So you just get so, more in the collector's boosters? <laughs> yes. I'm guessing what that means is like swords and demonic tutor are like the ceiling. And I think that's, I mean, frankly, for limited, I actually think those cards are relatively okay. Because as long as your demonic tutor is just like finding a regular card in your deck, like <laughs> not finding another like cube level card, then you're probably. For instance, if you've ever played, um, what was it, uh, like the Masters Editions on uh, Magic Online, like the yeah. really, really old, yeah, I mean, I got like a Demonic Tutor in one of those, and it's like, yes, I find my six mana four six. Like, You're like <laughs> Obscenious Golem or whatever that card was named. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That sounds it's like power, you actually, power moves. Right. Sounds like you're pretty familiar with the, uh, the old Masters Editions then. Uh, I've drafted I've drafted my fair share of uh, what Ebony Rhino of <laughs> seeing. Oh. Um, what what's the six mana Demir guy that taps for a mana? <laughs> I forget his name. A legend. I don't yeah. remember the name. Oh god, I, I can picture his art. He's like a ugly dude holding a skull, but I forget his name. Yeah, that was a long time ago, but I did draft those sets. There's like Tron lands in every pack, and <laughs> people are trying to assemble Tron. Right. 
I only uh, remember the name of another one in that cycle, but uh, I remember the Axel Rod. <laughs> Axel Rod, yep. <laughs> Black Red one, though. What a bomb. I had to look it up. I just remembered the name, but. <laughs> Is that one? Five, five. Trample. Oh. Fuck. <laughs> okay, go on. Nope, that's it. <laughs> no, no, there's still like a little bit more text. Like, if the creature dies that dealt. Was that damaged by this 5 5? Then you drain target player for one. Poof. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> That'll show them for chump blocking. Yeah. There are some like half decent legends in Gruel, if I remember correctly. Like, I think there's like a six mana 5 5 and maybe like a six mana 6 5 or something. Like, there are some cards that were almost respectable. <laughs> There's like Lady of the Mountain was in there. Right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> this is some deep cuts for free masters enjoyers out there. <laughs> for sure. But I mean. Ah, it comes up every, every second episode of our podcast. So <laughs> it should be used by it, uh, to it by now. <laughs> Especially with like how much cube Magic Online has been, you know, having as the all play events. I don't think we're going to see more Masters Edition flashbacks. I don't want to say like ever, but I think it'll be a long time, if ever. I'm more um, of a fan of cube than masters, so I'm down with that. Particularly now that they're okay. doing the like player-designed cubes, those are really cool, I think. I've liked all of them so far. Yeah. Yeah, I just also really hope that I'm, I'm, I want to see new cubes, but I also want to give people the chances to like improve their cube, and yeah. Like I, I think a lot of the cubes had good ideas, but um, had spaces where they could could make them better. Well, that's why they listen to your podcast and take your advice. <laughs> Do you think that? Um, I think the Live the Dream cube and uh, maybe like the Corset cube; those were some of the better ones. I think they needed like the least help, and it, I mean it makes sense. I loved the Core cube. I actually like all of them. I liked the Proliferate cube. I liked the Teamer cube. Yeah. Proliferate Cube was also a lot of fun to me. Like, I was a bit estranged by it at first, but I really enjoyed playing it. I don't, I'm not like a proliferate guy, really. Like, there's some people that just love like putting counters on their stuff. <laughs> I'm not really like that into that, but I still loved the Proliferate Cube somehow. <laughs> I mean, it's the, a very like thematic cube where you feel like everything does something with everything. And that is, a very interesting feeling. The, the synergies were like pretty loose, right? Like you could draft uh, different little synergy decks every time. You, you, it wasn't like on rails where like, oh, I took the Splinter Twin, so I'm going to try to take the Pestermite. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure it would be a cube I would enjoy drafting every week for the, for the next no. five months or something, but for the one week where it was there, it was like a lot of fun. I totally agree. All right, well... Speaking of um, huge tangents, I will try to <laughs> bring things back to Strixhaven. So uh, we have so far a command cycle, and I know a lot of people are pretty excited about at least a couple of these cards. And we learned a lot about what the set is going to look like just from looking at these five cards, knowing that it's going to be you know about enemy color pairs. And I think that's really cool just because we don't see as much of that as you know, I'd like to. Just like, for instance, one of the reasons I like cons block so much is because we don't really have, I mean, there are a couple other wedge blocks, right? You have like Ikoria, you have like, if you go way back, you have 
yeah, I mean, do you count a shard? I guess shards is, shards is not a wedge. It's a three-color <laughs> allied, allied three-color. But I don't know. In my mind, those are kind of the same. Yeah, they're super similar, right? Yeah. I'm curious, Poland, to try to put you on the spot here. I'm looking at the commands, and I, if you want, can send you a link. I, I, pulled, I haven't pulled up literally right here on Mythic Spoiler. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> do you think there are any that, for instance, would be like modern playable? Like, do you think... Well, the five mana one is right out. That's too much. <laughs> the the four mana one looks pretty bad too. Four mana one is like a the the Orzhov one, Silver Quill Command looks like a worse version of Kaya's Guile, which is a card that people do play in modern. So that leaves Simic, Golgari, and Is It commands. The Simic one, let's see, counters an artifact or enchantment and returns a creature, two counters, shuffles. Okay, the Simic one just doesn't do enough relevant stuff to be playable. So we're down mm -hmm. to Is It and Golgari. The Is It one is really similar to Coligan's Command, which has a yeah. pretty serious pedigree in modern. People still play that card a lot to this day. Two damage, loot is similar, like loot two is similar to getting a creature back. Makes it treasure is not super relevant. Destroys an artifact. It's probably like a K command for decks that don't have black. I don't know. It's probably slightly worse than K command, assuming you can cast either one. But I could definitely see that one being played. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of the Is It Charm, just in terms of the yeah. loot mode. The loot and the damage modes. Like you're essentially getting a like an entwine Is It Charm. And is a charm is a card that people play. So that one definitely has potential. And let's take a look at the Golgari one right here. Wither Bloom Command. Target player mills three. You return a land to your hand. Destroy a non-creature, non-land permanent. Mana value two or less. Target creature gets minus three, minus one. Target opponent loses two. I'm struggling to think of what non-creature, non-lands were killing with that. Benincent? Yeah, maybe. It does kill Dark Confidant. People don't really play Dark Confidant anymore. The the plus the minus three minus one doesn't kill a ton of the like modern relevant creatures. Kills so, rest in peace. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a dredge. I'm a dredge enjoyer. I could kill. But the problem is the order is wrong now. Mm. The order. On oh the order. yeah. So you <laughs> can't get back the land. <laughs> wow, that sucks. This this card feels worse to me than like Golgari Charm or like Abrupt Decay. The the fact that you can't kill a cheap creature. If it was just target non-land permanent with mana value two or less, we'd be talking. But <laughs> non-creature non-land makes it pretty rough. In yeah. Modern, I think. So I'm going to go... My hot take is going to be that this is not going to be that good. The drain part is not very relevant. The subtracting doesn't kill relevant creatures. Paying two to get back a land at sorcery speed is like not that great. It's worth noting that this is a sorcery. Right. We might be talking about this in Legacy. Someone was talking about this on my stream that you can get back a wasteland. You can mm. kill... like There's more X1 creatures that are played in Legacy, so maybe, but... My okay, my pick for modern is Prismary Command. The is it one is going to see the most play of these. Seems right. I think do you the think other one's not seen play at all. Yeah, 
the the Golgari one has a shot, maybe. Yeah. And the is it one probably we'll see some play. But these aren't like busted modern cards really. But they are really cool, like standard cards. I love charms. Like these charms are awesome. Like just this kind of design of a card, like a command slash charm. Those standard, maybe yeah, historic pioneer even. Or yeah, sure. The the is it one for sure in some sort of pioneer situation. Mm-hmm. And what do you, what do you guys think of these for cube? Are you gonna put any of these in your cube? Could well, see some of them. I the mean, weird is like an FTK ish. We're pretty like I don't know non traditional cube builders. <laughs> um, like we we like a lot of low powered stuff, and I don't know. Like for instance, one of the things I just started like yesterday. I'm trying something pretty absurd, which is like a Boros cube. And I have no idea whether it'll like be fun or work, but I do think I would put Lore Hold Command into that. So let's see, you can make a 3-2 and haste it up and attack, or you can shoot something for three and loot one of your lands into two cards. Yeah, I mean... I- the fact that it's an instant, I think these all should have been instants because it's hard to like wrap your mind around a cycle where some of them are yeah. sorceries and some of them are instants. It's so weird. <laughs> I agree. And I don't see how they would be really broken if they were instants. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something about like how insane the Golgari one is at instant speed, but it doesn't seem that great at instant speed. I don't know. Like, you can kind of do different. stuff with the Orzhov one, I think, at instant speed. Like, Pump something, bring something back, or make you sack something. Plus you one can't of those. pump the creature that you're getting back, unfortunately. Right. But yeah, yeah, you could. That that would be kind of a messed up combat trick, I suppose, to like bring back something and make them sack something, or like pump one of your guys and make them sack. They could have yeah, just made it I cost five. I don't know. <laughs> and I think that would just basically make it like a beating and limited, and maybe. For that reason, cube, but probably. Oh, I promise this one's still going to be a beating and limited. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I do think that the Witherbloom command, like its playability, from what I know about constructed, really does come down to that, like third or I can't even. I think it's the third mode. Um, the minus three, minus one thing. Like, yeah. If it it gave like minus two in terms of toughness, or minus one, minus three. <laughs> minus one, minus three, we'd be talking, but yeah, for sure. I'm yeah, wondering if it hit X twos. Do you think it would be good enough if it hit X twos or no? Uh, the creatures that people play in modern are very big. <laughs> Scourge of the Skyclaves is like a fourteen fourteen a lot of the time. Um, Fair enough. Uh, Death Shadow is large. Like this doesn't even okay. kill. Swift Spear, like your opponent's one drops aren't even dying to this. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be rough out there. If it gave minus two, minus two, maybe, maybe, probably not. <laughs> if it gave minus three, minus three, yeah, sure. If it was literally the exact same card, but minus three, minus three was one of the modes, yeah, yeah that would be good, probably. It's not even insane, still, like the you're still worse than Abrupt Decay, probably just because it's a sorcery. There's a lot. There's a lot working against this card, in my opinion. I'm willing to be wrong. Like, tune in in a couple months. Maybe this card's dominating modern. But <laughs> it, maybe in a Jund mirror, if Jund is really prevalent, Jund mirrors are everywhere. Ren and six is a must kill. Like, you're right. This does yeah. kill Ren and six. But you could just play with like abrupt decay or something. 
<laughs> kill other stuff too. At instant um, speed. Yeah. <laughs> People play trophy in modern, or is like abrupt decay just much? Somewhat. Jund plays a lot of fatal pushes, a lot of abrupt decays, and like some trophies. Abrupt decay is good because it kills death shadow dead through stubborn denial. It kills right. your opponent's Teferi or their Liliana and stuff like that. Trophy. Yeah. We're talking about killing like primeval titans and your opponent's Tron lands and Karns and stuff. Like trophy, trophy's the big hitter. You know, if you need to kill it, you can trophy it. <laughs> Almost sounds like a sideboard card from that. Um, At best, I would say. <laughs> okay, so yeah, two more changes in Strixhaven, just in terms of wordings. So we got to see one of them on which one was it? Witherbloom commands mana value. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So converted mana cost is now mana value. And the other one, uh, technically, this is not a change because we've had then shuffle in one. I found it one other place. I'm sure you guys are probably going to be very surprised to hear that because, I mean, it's being introduced as a change. If you know the cards that say partner with, partner with is actually like defined as then shuffle like in the reminder text which is like kind of mind-blowing to Whoa. me <laughs> it's been there the whole time yeah <laughs> i just like I stuck that one in there yeah i just happened to like run across this i was very like excited i was like wait this already existed anyway huh, yeah that's I mean, a good factoid <laughs> mana value is a very big change i would say just in terms of like the sound of things and you know unlike the then shuffle you can't really find it anywhere else what do you guys what do you guys think of those changes well i'm probably still always going to call it cmc but mm -hmm. i understand like it is if you don't know anything about magic and you're trying to comprehend what a card does it is maybe a little easier to understand what mana value means intuitively than converted mana cost like what are we converting you know it's not immediately <laughs> clear unless you know the rules pretty well. I, I'm sort of a like traditionalist. I would have preferred that they didn't change it. I, I'm sort of tired of them changing so much stuff all the time. But as far as changes go, this is like small potatoes. This is not that big a deal. It's just less, it's less um, characters, fewer characters, so they can fit more stuff onto the cards. And more spell-like sets. Yeah, so they seem pretty interested in putting tons of words on all sides of the magic cards so i get this yeah so that was my first reaction too with mana value like do they really need to make it shorter is that the reason i assume that's the reason right like what else would it be <laughs> i i have another reason but um okay. <laughs> at first i want to say i don't really actually care that much about what it's called and i think this change will go over pretty smooth and nobody yeah. will care too much I agree. but i think it is a little bit better because it feels um, like more natural to the game, like more flavorful. Like, like Battlefield or Exile. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Remove from the game, like takes you out of the immersion. Mana value, less so than converted mana cost. So I feel like if, uh, if Richard Garfield in Alpha needed that word, he probably would have used something like mana value and not converted mana cost. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. 
it feels more like in the world. This change is going to be like unnoticeable in gameplay. Like your abrupt decay is still going to kill their planeswalker. Doesn't matter if it's yeah. mana value or CMC. So like, yeah, it's not going to be even as big of a change as like getting rid of mana burn, which you know barely a gameplay change, but at least it does change gameplay slightly. This is not like this is going to be a minor change. I think people are just right. like kind of mad because change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you guys in a lot of ways. I think it is just. Exactly, small potatoes. And I didn't think of the flavor reason. I was definitely thinking about, I mean, like fewer characters, less ink, right? I was thinking about making it potentially a little more accessible or intuitive for new players. But I think ultimately what it comes down to for me is like, is this a change that's going to like mess up the game at all? Like my primary example would be like generic versus colorless mana because I mean, it just, it changed the way things work. It changed what a lot of like mana sources produce. It just, I don't know. I really didn't yeah. like the way that that messed with the game. All the new soul rings are ugly. Yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> much. Um, like to me, I don't know, it also just felt like a kind of unnecessary like rules change. But this to me feels almost like comes into play turning into enters the battlefield. Like it just... It's really like an aesthetic kind of thing. And that's, you know, a-okay with me. Like it just, yeah. I think well, it's Enters the Battlefield is longer than comes into play. So this is going the opposite way. This is like an aesthetic change that is also saving characters. So yeah, I, I get it. Right. That's a good point. Okay. So now to wrap up, yeah, we somehow got Strixhaven spoilers, at least a few of them. Just after it feels like Keldheim was released, but not super long from now, I think in about a month, uh, we're going to have Time Spiral remastered. So uh, I've put together a list of a few cards I would love to see reprinted. Uh, we'll end if you, <laughs> if you would like to do the same, let me know. Okay. Yeah, uh, we could give yeah. you a, sh a few minutes. and yeah, I'll think have, about it. It looks like I just Googled it. The release date is March 19. So, uh, yeah. so just under a month. Just under a month from now. Um, mm. Yeah, I guess in the meantime, I'll just launch into the cards that I'm really hoping to see reprinted. And I had to narrow this down quite a bit. My original list was like over 20 cards or something. <laughs> but <laughs> really, that's interesting. That's so many. Yeah. I mean, just based on like design alone, I've tried to choose one in each color that I'm a big fan of. So I'll start with Edge of Autumn. That's one in a green. Basically for a rampant growth, but you can only use that rampant growth part of it if you have four or fewer lands. I mean, you can cast it, but it just doesn't do <laughs> it doesn't do anything. If you have five plus lands, then it has cycling. You can sacrifice a land, so yeah, you have this really neat design where wizards is kind of like acknowledging that ramp mana sources are dead in the late game, just the same way that you see on cycling lands, but instead of Know, this just having cycling, cycling like sack a land, which to me, you know, it really feels like a neat kind of design. I'm not a huge fan of the like if you control four or fewer lands bit, but I mean, I guess they're trying to explain to new players when not to cast <laughs> it. Like, you should cast this late, or you should cycle it late. You should cast it early. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I do think it's a really yeah. sweet card. Um, it's also like stopping you from doing like ultra big ramp. And also, mm. it 
makes it forces you into some decisions early. Like it's an interesting card, definitely. Yeah. Next up, uh, Iker Slick. So this is two and a black for sorcery, but it's not always a sorcery. So it says target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. Uh, it cycles for two and has madness for three and a black. Uh, and so cycling plus madness basically means you can discard it and then cast it. So you draw a card from cycling and then you cast it anyway from madness. So you can turn it into two mana draw card. You can turn it into six mana. And the most exciting part about this, of course, is that you effectively give it flash. You turn it into an instant because uh, you can cycle anytime and then madness just after you've cycled it. So this is a really nice card. It's a little bit like it just has kicker the kicker like turns it into like an instant that draws you a card i just think it's like a super sweet design uh, i think it's really well costed i think it's a great card i just had to look it up because i didn't believe you that it was a sorcery but it is actually a sorcery i've never cast it outside of cycle madness <laughs> I, I, have, but it's so rare. <laughs> I did not know this card was a sorcery you really have to be mana screwed to want to or to but have if you're to do horribly that. mana screwed you just cycle it and just draw the card yeah. right like it seems yeah it's pretty rare to just cast it. It's very rare, but sometimes yeah. you also want to double spell if you are feeling you're the mm -hmm. aggressor and the value doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't happen too often. That it's not an instant was very clear to me because you cannot search it up with mystical teachings. Oh. I wonder if that was actually like a power level thing that they that they put in the set, or if this was just like a time spiral being cute with the design and like, look, you can quicken it if you cycle madness it. It's all that. Yeah. It feels like the latter to me, but who knows? What were you gonna teaching was like a real thing. You know, yeah, that card's great. I almost put that on my list. Was a thing. I, I was going to ask if you guys have played with the card uh, Blast from the Past in Cube, because that's what this card reminds me of, or ever. Like It does remind me of, yeah. You wanna... that's, a, that's a cycle map. Let's see if I can dial that one up here and see what it does. Um, Let's see. It also has buyback. What else does it have? It's got a lot of stuff on it. Let's take a look. <laughs> okay. So it costs three, and it's a shock. It also has... Madness, cycling, kicker, flashback, and buyback. <laughs> so <laughs> you can cycle it and madness it. That's like but a, then you can't buy back it. But then you uh, can't buy back it. Yes, flashback and buyback don't mix. That's one of the rulings right here. So you can't flashback it and buy back it. It looks like you can madness it and buy back it if you want. Mm. Nice. Uh, the only one that prevents you from buying it back is if you're flashing it back, because that wants you to put it in exile instead of anywhere else when it resolves. The the right. buyback is five though, so if you're doing that, it costs you. It's going to put you back eight mana. Uh, also, if it's kicked, you make a goblin token, and it has kicker three. I don't know. Just look this card up. It's got a lot of different abilities. It's a cool one though. <laughs> it's like a command ish. It's like a mono red like escalate command-ish card. I think this would be a cool card for them to like print in Paper Magic, but it has too many, or in Blackboard Magic, but it just has too many disparate mechanics that they wouldn't usually put all in the same set. So, Modernizing cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Put this in that. modern. Do it. <laughs> Do it, you cowards. <laughs> I don't think, I, I would love like this card in particular to be in like Modern Horizons too, but if we saw like more really neat like synergistic mechanics like all on the same card, I would be very down for that. Especially if we like scaled back the costs a little bit because as cool as this card is, you never really, you know, just you're basically just cycle madnessing it most of the time. It's just a cantrip oh. shock for three. Yeah. Not like kicker buyback. <laughs> just like blah. <laughs> 
tons of mana. They can um, they can put this on like a blue card drawing type thing and like push the costs or make the make the costs for the abilities different colors of mana. Interesting. Yeah. This this was in my buddy Sam Pardee's cube, and I always used to love drafting this. <laughs> so that's what came to mind when I thought of Icarus Lake. Anyway, sorry about the tangent. <laughs> so next up on my list, I'll go with Dreamscape Artist. Uh, so one of the few ways to ramp and fix your mana in blue in particular. So mana, one in a blue, that is for a 1-1. One, one. <laughs> Sorry, mana value 2. It's a human spell shaper. Uh, for 2 in a blue, <clears throat> you can tap it, discard a card, sack a land, uh, and then search for 2 lands, and shuffle, just kidding, uh, and put them, yeah, onto the battlefield. And so, yeah, I mean, you're basically casting Harrow. This is just like an extremely neat card. It's a card that doesn't seem nearly as good as it is until you've played with it. Uh, or if you've played a lot of other cards that are really similar to it. But yeah, it's a lot like Harrow. It's a lot like Springbloom Druid. And just for blue to get this effect is something I really, really liked. It's also a lot like uh, Mana Severance. You eventually take out all the lands from your deck and you're drawing yeah. gasoline yeah. every turn. That's true. So it's re it keeps ramping you and it thins your deck effectively. Like It makes it feel more blue than... Like just Harrow, you just ramp. Whatever. But... The blue version of that is like it's also making you draw better cards because <laughs> it's like looting into like thinning, basically. I don't know. It's yeah. it's quite the card. <laughs> I agree that you have to kind of play with it to believe it. Uh, next up, I'll say Fire Maw Kavu. So uh, this is a sweet one. Five and a red for a four two. It has Echo with the same cost as the mana cost, and then when it enters the battlefield, uh, deals two damage to target creature. And when it leaves the battlefield, it deals four damage to target creature. So this is another card where like you look at it, you read the abilities, and you know it's easy enough to move on. There are some really awesome tricks you can do with this card. So trick number one <laughs> would have to be um, just like using it to kill one thing, then you don't uh, pay the echo, and you just let it die and it kills something else. Like, that's pretty simple. But kind of beyond that. If you need to deal four damage to something right away, you can have it deal the two damage. Yeah. <laughs> you have it deal the two damage to itself, and then it immediately triggers. Oh, that. wow! Right. So if you're playing against like a X four flyer or something, um, and you're like yeah. at a very low life total or whatever it is, I'm interested in the mode where you pay the echo and then you have a four two also. This is body yeah. them, and then when they trade with it, it kills one of their creatures. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, the three for one mode is pretty good, right? Yeah. You play it, you kill something, you pay a bunch of mana, but then it kills two things when it goes away. Yeah, I mean, very, very, very good card. Yeah, and the turn you play it, they can just never attack into it. Like, you don't haven't paid the echo yet, but it's still the body there. Yeah, that's definitely it. You, you love these uh, cutesy time spiral cards like Iker Slick and <laughs> Firemark Kami. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I chose these cards not just because, like, I like them or I think they're very good, but I'm really going for like neat designs in particular. Yeah. Yeah. And that also feel it has a very old school feel because it has echo. That's like an ancient mechanic. It's a Kavu, ancient creature type. <laughs> yeah. It's got a, a lot a lot of text, which I guess is coming back into style. <laughs> yeah, I think it really is. I think I've heard both of you guys refer to Fortel as like kind of similar to Echo. So <laughs> Yeah. Rebranded. <laughs> right. Go, but with options. 
it's like echo meets morph meets suspend like <laughs> yeah right yeah uh, so my last card here stormfront riders so this card is four and a white for a four three flyer it says when it enters the battlefield you return two target creatures you control to their owner's hand and whenever it or another creature is returned to your hand from the battlefield you make a one one token and pretty much you can just play this and return you know some cheap creatures get a four three flyer into play and a couple tokens but like the kind of hidden mode on this thing it's not that hidden because it refers to itself by name in that second trigger but you can just return it and you have this like very 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 clunky sprout swarm but still a sprout <laughs> and like uh no. It's growing exponentially. Right. It feels like a much so you, fairer. So you would play it, make a token, and then return itself and something else. Right. So if you just have like a one or two drop. Yeah. You play it, you bounce like itself and the cheap creature, and you just made a couple tokens. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's basically, I don't know, it's almost like expensive like buyback thing that just makes a couple dudes kind of like Sprout Swarm, but minus the Convoke again. And oh, so if you, but if you just return it and the token, then... then you just made one token for you've, five more. You've netted one token, and you can play it again and net one other token for five. You can do that over and over too, I guess. Right, yeah. Whew, there's a lot of modes on these Time Spiral cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, these are some cards that I think could be like fair to reprint like it they wouldn't be format breaking for like this you know really sweet sort of remastered limited format but anyway you guys also have some cards you'd like to talk about so let's move on to those i have something something ready so my first one is uh crook claw transmuter it's for three and a blue a three one flying flash wizard bird wizard and when it comes to play, you swap the power and toughness of um, target creature, so it could um, come into Destroy play as a as a as a one three and maybe eat something small, or it like messes up the opponent's power toughness, or maybe sometimes it just doesn't swap anything really, like something like they have a three three coming in and you just play it and block, but it also gets in there and deals damage. It's not necessarily a very high pick or a super strong card, but it's one of those cards that is worth remembering when you're playing the format. Definitely. Or at least the original format. There's one more mode on there, and that is if you're playing against a zero-power creature, of course. Yeah. Um, actually not had that. many of those around, I think, though. There's like the... Probably not. Thalid, um Wall... That is probably the most prominent OX that people play. Yeah. And this thing yeah. actually would kill a wall in Chaos Draft, which was sick, of course. Nice. Very nice. I just kind of liked the card, like, as a basically as a flyer. That it was a wizard sometimes came up. There was like a card with wizard cycling in Future Side, and I don't know. It's not a, like, as some of have the fondest memories in. Time Spiral Draft of the medium to late picks that uh, did some mm -hmm. something for me. The next one is a very high pick, though, in the original format, and I really would like that one to be back because it was so format-defining for me, at least. 
And that mm. is Thrill of the Hunt. Oh yeah, that's a good one. It's for a green an instant, and it gives a creature plus one, plus two, and you can flashback it for white. So there was a cycle of cards off, that... Off-color flashback. Yeah, I think only, only um, allied um, pairs. Not, I think, I'm sure. It's only allied pairs, so it's five cards. I think they were all pretty good, but I really liked the Thrill of the Hunt. One of them's um, on my list, spoiler alert. One of them <laughs> is on my list too. I think it might be the same one. <laughs> we'll see we'll see it probably is <laughs> so yeah that one definitely should be there because it really made the green white deck tick it was very strong just giving something plus plus two plus four can be nice or like swapping it to having it on two different creatures people um, used to play that card in constructed like that that card has a, a good history of being playable it's yeah, awesome. it's just, it, and it doesn't even look that strong at first glance no it's it's very nice though yeah, it is really nice. It's like the precursor to travel prep. And I mean, as yeah. green white mages, uh, Jakob, I know <laughs> you and oh, I yeah. can both read it. Yeah. I'm green white mage. I don't it's, know. It's, it's got feet of resistance vibes, too. <laughs> yeah, it's a trick that uh, can two for one. So, yeah, th so the next one on my list is Gorgon Recluse. It's for three black black. I think it's just a, a Gorgon. 2-4 creature with like a weird variant of Death Touch. Mm. But it has madness for double black. And that card was also something you really needed to keep in mind when you're playing against something that could madness something into play because the body was big. Yeah. And yeah, you don't want to just run into that card. I really like that it makes the, the madness deck work while not completely being broken. And it's still castable like as a creature and not amazing but relatively respectable then the next one on my list is another card i liked in green white go white it's marshalling cry so it's for it's a sorcery for one white white and it gives your team plus one plus one and vigilance until end of turn but it also has cycling for two generic mana and it has flashback for three and white. So this one also has a lot of different options. If you if you add this card to the Icker Slick, you get Blast from the Past. Is that, that's, <laughs> yeah, yes. basically. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it was also not an early pick or anything, but um, it's something that some decks could make use of. And it somehow always felt good. like. You can if you don't have anything early to do, you just cycle it, and then later it might really come in handy. Like just drawing card early and then flashback plus one plus one vigilance to the team is surprisingly relevant sometimes. If you have seven mana lying around, you can give plus two plus two, or like if things really go according to plan, you just play the first half in one turn and the second half in the next turn, and we both get your opponent dead. Um, yeah. I like that card, but I think it like it's like if you want to create it like maybe a C minus or something, maybe even a D plus. Yeah, it's really not amazing, but I really like the card. Yeah, it's one of those cards where like the design is a little bit better than the card itself. I think. Yeah, but it's not unplayable, and some decks do kind of want this effect. It's interesting because like these sorcery speed pump your team effects are usually pretty not good, but tacking a cycling onto it 
makes yep. it pretty nice. You just cycle it early and then it's there like whatever, you know, you just flash it back. It makes the card disadvantage argument of like, why should I play this pump spell? You know, it makes makes it better. Cycle, cycle it early. Yeah, my last card is probably then your first card. It's a momentary blink. No, mine's a different one, but that, that one's Ooh, a banger my. too. <laughs> yeah. Nice little blue-white blink. <laughs> was really nice. Just momentary blink is where I guess the name comes from often. Yeah. Um, it's for one and a white and instant. Uh, you remove or you exile a creature you control and return it to the battlefield immediately. And it has flashback for three and a blue. When I was a kid, I truly didn't understand what the point of this card was. I was like, why would I want to like make my card go away and then come back? What's the point? <laughs> it took me some time too, but yeah. in this format, like, it's not even broken, but it does a lot of things. I think my favorite thing, cutest thing to do with it is flip the red chroma from Penacast. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a good like, one. It's dirty. <laughs> I thought you were going to say evoke Moldrifter and then tag it the bold drift on the stack that's a good one well that was not in this in this form no no it was uh pretty soon after though i played a constructed like revelark vencer mold drifter momentary blink deck at one point it's pretty awesome yeah. i had a couple times in chaos draft recently uh the card peel from reality which is like return mm-hmm. a creature you control and something they control uh like to both players hands uh, or to their owner's hands i guess I once got to do that with like Mold Drifter, and I once got to do that with like Wing Splicer, and it was just. Also had like a skin render. Anyway, it was <laughs> lots of fun. So yeah, I think Blink is a sweet card, and frankly, I mean, I like it so much more than Ephemerate. Why does Ephemerate need to be as good as it is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ephemerate probably yeah. could cost cost a couple more mana. Yeah, for I guess for Constructed or something, like even in. Well, I guess in standard momentary blink was a thing, as you just said, but it was. It wasn't like overpowered, but it was a thing people played. Yeah, Venser was like a pretty powerful thing to blink. Um, yeah, that's true. yeah, the create the evoke creatures as we were just talking about from the upcoming sets right after that. Like it played well with the cards in the environment around it. You could also mm-hmm. like play one of those echo creatures you were talking about, and then hit it with the momentary blink next turn and like get more value. Yeah, I mean, with Fire Makabu, it's just, like, game. Like, you yeah. get the two... <laughs> Good luck, <laughs> opponent. Oh, All your guys are dead forever. <laughs> right. Especially with, like, the flashback, you can just do it again. <laughs> also on upkeep. Like, anyway. But yeah, so... Yes, now we're moving on to Boland. Uh, whatever yeah, you have. I, I got a couple for you here. So, I was just looking through, like, the time spiral set and just highlighting some cards that I've liked. First one I have is Looter Ilkor. It's a two-mana 1-1 one, one with Shadow. It's blue. When it hits the opponent, you get to loot. When it deals combat damage to an opponent, you draw a card, then discard a card. N- notably, it's a mandatory loot, so you don't want to necessarily go too nuts on this when you have very little cards left in your deck, but this is a cube staple. Basically, as long as I've been playing cube, I've been drafting this card, and I didn't get to play a ton of Time Spiral Limited the first time, but I know if I see this in one of my Time Spiral packs, uh, I'm going to be selecting it and having a great time looting away my stuff. Although, if there's more shadow creatures, maybe it's not it's not the like constant looter that it is in Cube, where it's just basically unblockable and can't block. If there's more no, like sh- shadow gameplay, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Not really. There's a few, yeah. but not really. I remember there's like a big black rare that can give something shadow, 
but yeah. Oh, that card's insane. I don't remember a ton of shadow from Time Spiral. But anyway, Looter Elcor, sick cube card. If you've never played with it, man, you're you're missing out. <laughs> Another good thing for you is I think that one's very likely to be reprinted in this set. I suspect so too. It's also a rogue, not super relevant at the time, but now you could like prowl with it or um, I don't know. It's probably never going to be played with Zeratsan, but in a cube, like it's relevant with Zeratsan. I don't know. <laughs> I just see the rogue type now, and I'm like, the alarm bells go off in my mind, you know. <laughs> I think it wasn't even though, even though it's like amazingly strong. I think it was not the Consens best blue common. I think the Consens best blue common was um, Aaron Ephemeron. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Aaron Ephemeron's pretty sick too. Like I've played a lot of popper cube type stuff, and Aaron Ephemeron is. Uh, <laughs> It's a monster for sure. It's a big so, dumb flyer. That's all you need. It's it's like a bitter blossom. You set it on turn two and then you just forget it. And then eventually it's like, oh, look at this guy. This little haste four four. All right, my next card, we got word of seizing. This is a stand-in for everything with split second, basically. But mm -hmm. uh, word of seizing is a rare. It's red, it's red, red three. It's an instant, it has split second. Untap target permanent and gain control of it until end of turn. It gains haste until end of turn. So the the like usual way you want to play this is either you just on your turn steal their guy and attack them with it and kill them like a normal threaten but it's an instant so that opens up the possibilities of like you steal one of their attackers untap it and block one of their other attackers with it and that's very powerful but then there's also it steals any permanent so like you could steal their planeswalker or their whatever probably not planeswalkers in this set i guess but it also has split second which means that they can't respond with anything except mana abilities. So they can't counter it, generally, unless they have uh, counterbalance. The dream is to steal something with a sacrifice activated ability. Yeah, exactly. So like a strip mine or whatever. Or a planeswalker that's about to ultimate. Or yeah, it, yeah. or a seal of... Sure. Even, <laughs> like, a naturalized seal is even in the format. Like, not that it would come up very often, but... It's just such a sick, like, gotcha. Like, there's no... I used to play this card when I used to play EDH. Like, I, I put this card in the modern cube that I built with one of my buddies. Like, <clears throat> it's just so fun. <laughs> this is just good, clean fun right here. The only you thing that I hate a little, little bit about um, Split Sect being in this format is that it was together with Morph. And, like, Which Morph... Is that's <laughs> yeah, that's, like, its own weird timing ability, <laughs> and then... Yeah. That's just the like cutesy game design that they were really into in Time Spiral. I don't know. I find that stuff to be fun and cool. But yeah. But it, uh, as a it young player, I started just around that time. It really confused me um, because like I first learned to play the game, the most basic things. And um, <laughs> then, they then hit you I learned Time Spiral. Yeah. And then I split second. Uh, but I can unmorph. It's a special action that doesn't use the stack. <laughs> huh. Okay. I guess that's the way it works. But then I learned that playing lands also doesn't use the stack. Yes. So that meant next I tried to play lands at instant speed, but that also just didn't work. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can I only like if you if you are learning the set, um, you go for like a word of seizing and your opponent goes like Willbender, like yeah, that judge. Would, <laughs> that would suck. Um, Poor judges. 
Yeah, I was also learning to play around this time, but I had the opposite reaction. I loved it. I like ate all this stuff up. I was like, wow, you could cycle it and you can madness it. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> like, uh, no, I, I also like, really loved it. Yeah, I was going nuts learning all these like ability interactions and stuff. I thought it was cool. But that's why I say poor judges. Like having to explain <laughs> it to all the new players much must be really tiring, even though, the, even though most of the players maybe aren't even frustrated about it. But uh -huh. talking through it every single time again with all the new players that, must be a bit annoying. I wonder if they'll like maybe cut like cut more from the set or something. Like cut one of the sources of complexity when they remaster Time Spiral. That'll be interesting to see. Or if they just pile it all in there. <laughs> it's hard to know. I mean, I feel like with Modern Horizons, they really spared like almost no complexity. But I mean, I could see them trying to make this a little easier for players. But also, like Caltheim is a pretty complex set yeah so. there's a lot of complexity in call time so maybe they're just like cool with it now anyway i got i got three more cards for you the first one is fungal reaches it's a land you can tap it for colorless mana uh or you can pay one and tap it to put a storage counter on it and then it has an activated ability for one and remove x storage counters to add x mana this one is of red or green mana but there were five of these they're the allied color pairs um and notably the second ability doesn't make it tap so you can just tap it basically and use its mana to pay the one and then remove x counters these were um pretty played and constructed for a long time like uh, these cards are innocuously like way more powerful than they look like whenever you're just sitting around with excess mana on your on your opponent's turn or whenever you just put a charge counter on it and then it fixes your mana, accelerates your mana. These come into play untapped, so they don't mess up your curve that much. Um, these are just sort of, these are in that like good clean magic category of just like, these are good cards <laughs> and they're sweet. <laughs> so I hope we get yeah. those back. Max, are they commander staples? Um, I wouldn't know if they're like staples in particular, but they are definitely cards that like I look to put in my commander decks if I can. I, I would expect they probably are staples, and yeah, they've been in that. commander like command. They've been in three different commander reprints, like commander anthologies, uh, the original commander reprints. Like they've been. Watsi knows that commander players like these, <laughs> so. Yeah, and for that reason, uh, I mean, I didn't know that, but it makes sense. I was going to say though, this is definitely out there for me in terms of like cycles. I would love to see completed. Oh yeah, they can put enemy colored ones. Like, is it store land or whatever? That'd be cool. That would be nice, yeah. I think they're a little too fiddly for like modern yeah. design, like the way that they make lands these days. Like the fact that they have this activated ability that doesn't tap them, but you can tap them to pay. Like it's it's a little weird the way that these work. The like how the sausage is made part of these cards is a little bit ugly, but the way that they play in actual magic is pretty awesome. So <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Maybe they'll complete the cycle with like a little bit of a different wording. Uh, what's my next card right here? We got, okay, this one's a good one. Gemstone Caverns. This one recently was a hit in Modern. Uh, whenever the formats get very, very busted and very, very fast to the point where you might have to play something on your opponent's turn on, the, on turn zero, basically. <laughs> this is to play. So this is a legendary land. 
If it's in your opening hand and you're not playing first, you may begin the game with gemstone caverns on the battlefield with a luck counter on it. If you do exile a card <laughs> from your hand, and then it taps for colorless, or if it has a luck counter, it taps for any color instead. So <laughs> it's also a legendary land. So if you draw multiples of these, it's a little rough. Like you have to float mana and then like play the next one and sack your existing one. It turns into like a lotus petal in the late game. So this this type of card pushes you very much in like a combo direction. Uh, and I believe this was like a player designed card. I believe this was like an invitational card that didn't end up being printed and then they just reused the design or something. Uh, oh, really? I, I, I forget who designed it, but I believe this was like a, a player design. Basically, they're trying to steal, it, it steals the play from your opponent. You go down a card and you get to put a land into play. It's like you've gone first and they're now on the draw. So it sort of turns it around on them. Uh, I've been playing this card in Modern in my Dredge deck. It's pretty fun to play Cathartic Reunion on turn one and put like a thousand power into play. And then your opponent plays their rest in peace and concedes or whatever. <laughs> like, it is. <laughs> It is nice. This card is, uh, it's not like broken really because it does come with the card disadvantage cost and being legendary is a big drawback on like a mana producing land. But oh, also only like, tapping for our colorless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you draw it later, it's not very good. But you're supposed to just draw it in your opener. <laughs> and the the London Mulligan now does favor this type of like, oh, it like. I'll just mulligan a bunch and then like ley lines get better and gemstone caverns get better and any like serum vision gets better. Any like mulligan start of the game related cards get a little bit buffed by the, the current London mulligan rule. But so you can mulligan into the play. Yeah. Sometimes you <laughs> see the mulligan to go first, you know, um, <laughs> this was in the, the very broken Valky cascade deck that was dominating a couple weeks ago before they, fixed yeah. the cascade rules change and yeah it's pretty nuts <laughs> you're like force of negationing and pitching your cards to counter their stuff for free you're putting gemstone caverns into play pitching your cards to do stuff for free you're playing with like simian spirit guide and making mana for free and then like you're casting a three mana cascade spell that plays a seven mana planeswalker like it's that deck was out of control so i'm glad that that was like the the straw that broke the camel's back of making watsi have to address some bands in modern that had needed to be done for a while, like mystical sanctuary, mystic sanctuary, and Oro mm -hmm. and stuff. But what oh. I'm trying to say is, Gemstone Caverns is a really cool card. But if it's a prevalent card in a constructed format, that might be a problem. Like <laughs> you got other problems. The format's going extremely fast. Right. I was actually going to say, um, kind of unlike the Looter Ilkor, where I feel like you know that bodes really well for coming back in this remaster. I think. Gemstone Caverns, like, it doesn't yeah. seem super far away uh, to me from being banned. Like, we just had Simeon Spirit Guide banned. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's definitely in that, like, danger zone. It, the one case for its, like, reprinting is it's pretty expensive. It's, like, $60. So mm -hmm. if people want really? this card, it, it, it shot up pretty recently. But it's been expensive for a while. Like, if you look in, uh, what is this, War of the Spark, it was $50. Um, mm -hmm. I don't I'm know. sure it's... I have some of those lying around somewhere. Maybe get rid of them before the reprint. But if they don't yeah, get reprinted in masters, like they'll shoot up more probably. I don't know. Yeah, I was going. Uh, I was going to say like the fact that we did just have um, 
you know, this ban and Simeon Spirit Guide, not like exactly a fair card, but a card that's been like floating around in modern for a while and doing, you know, all sorts of stuff there. Um, doing the stuff it does. <laughs> right. <laughs> it feels like maybe like that card getting banned and caverns not getting banned does bode well for it. Like maybe that ban was like a, you know, we're about to print this card in our set, so we can't ban it. We'll ban the other stuff. Um, but maybe it's just not problematic. Oh, enough. yeah, maybe. Although uh, Simeon Spirit Guide is also from Time Sparrow Block, so <laughs> maybe it was in this set already. Yeah. Who knows? I, I, I like both of those cards. Like, I personally liked Simeon Spirit Guide, and I kind of wish it didn't get banned, but I think they probably had to, unless they were willing to ban a ton of other combo cards. If they just want to, like, generically weaken a lot of the different combo decks, banning Spirit Guide makes sense. Speaking of uh, Spirit Guide, just another quick tangent. I recently played Rite of Flame uh, for the first time in like, an aggro deck in Cube and <laughs> in Mono Red. And like I thought it would just be bad, but it was insane. Like Because so many of the other decks were not really equipped to handle Mono Red. Just like playing your extremely good like three drop or four drop like a turn early was just yeah. completely nuts. Anyway. And, and you weren't even getting the good part of Rite of Flame where you cast the, like, third one. <laughs> Make right. a thousand mana. Yeah, you no. the, the, the first one is, like, the one you got to just, like, push through to get to the second one. <laughs> I, played okay, so Drag I, I played Dragonstorm in Standard, so I, I remember casting many Rite of Flames. For sure. So if I'm correct, you might have one kind of mystical card left for us. Uh, it is... It's not that mystical, but it does have flashback. It is Ancient Grudge. <laughs> oh, that's it is, totally wrong. It is one of the off-color flashback cards we were talking about. So it's a shatter on, on the base mode. It's just two mana, instant, kill an artifact, it's red. And then you flash it back for a green. About as simple as you can get for a card, but it has perennially seen play and constructed. Like, as long as this card's been legal, it's been one of the best ways to kill artifacts. Like, a braid has push it out a little bit, but it still sees play. Like, Dredge, you play this card. Delverdex in Legacy have played this card. Uh, it is just so efficient. Like, this is about as pushed as it gets, kind of. Like, Shattering Spree and Abrade are up there, but, like, this is in the upper echelon of, like, if you're trying to kill artifacts, this is your go-to. And... Works in Dredge. It very much works in Dredge. I have always been of the opinion that the Dredge in Modern and just in all formats, sideboard is kind of bad because, what am I trying to say? You don't want to mess up your engine. You're milling yourself and like cards doing stuff from the graveyard engine too much by boarding in like stuff like Nature's Claim that don't do anything when you mill past them. Uh, and you don't take that many draw steps over the course of the game because you're trying to Dredge most of the time. So you're pretty much just stuck with like the seven that you open and then like a couple draw steps over the course of the game for cards that do stuff from your hand. But Ancient Grudge, uh, not only can you cast it from your hand if you draw it, but you can flash it back if you just mill past it. So Ancient Grudge is one of the sickest, like from a dredge player's perspective, it is one of the sickest ways to answer any artifact except for Graft Digger's Cage. That's the frustrating one. But <laughs> uh, I would love to see an ancient grudge with the old frame. I would, I'd eat that up. Get me a foil set of those, please. <laughs> I feel like that. I'll have to check the spoiler, but I feel like I might have already seen one of those. I would not be surprised. 
I also like the other card you were alluding to is um, Mystical Teachings, which is also a fun card, but I've never played that much like of that type of deck. So that doesn't really have like a nostalgia place in my part, but I know it does for a lot of people. And Mystical Teachings decks do see play in Popper to this day. And they're really frustrating to play against from what I hear. They just like kill and counter all your stuff. And then they eventually deck you to like your draw step or they gain so much life with pristine talisman that you can never kill them or they kill you with pestilence or whatever. Like they kill you in just such a frustrating way after they've answered everything you do and they mystical for more mysticals. Yeah, basically that's how they kill you, right? Yeah. First time a mystical for a mystical, you know you're dead. <laughs> yep. They mystical for like something that answers your board and then they flash it back for another mystical. That's when you pack it in. Right click concede. <laughs> I love mystical just in that like it's an extremely like mana inefficient card but the fact that like the instant speed flexibility not just of the like the card itself but of what you can get with it like I don't know I think it's a really neat card I never got to do anything with it and like constructed but I don't know whenever I can do anything with it and limited I'm always very happy the mana efficiency part, it doesn't matter because it's playing in a space where you already have thousands of mana. Like you've terrored their first six creatures. You're both <laughs> just top decking against each other. You have 10 lands, your opponent has 10 lands. And then you draw this mystical teachings and the game just, <laughs> you know, they get locked out. So it, the fact that it's mana inefficient is sort of part of the like, it's part of the charm. You know, it makes you build your deck in a certain way that gets to the super late game where you have thousands of mana and you're just trying to find like something to do. <laughs> I can see that for sure. One card I am surprised not to have heard, especially, you know, just thinking as like Boland mentioned, like so many lands, maybe Jakob, you were just trying to make things like less redundant, but like Terramorphic Expanse. I mean, that's a card from your signature spellbook. I was very surprised not to uh, this um, in your yeah, list. Yeah, I love that card. I do really love it, but I wanted to mix it up a bit and also right. added five of the different colors as you did so i didn't i ignored that are you more of a terramorphic expanse guy or an evolving wilds guy well i started my journey into magic basically with time spiral so i'm yeah. expanding terramorphically <laughs> definitely i'm also a terramorphic expanse fan definitely that even reprinted it was in like 10th edition it's been reprinted before they could reprint it again Definitely activated more Evolving Wilds, but I don't know. I, I've i been a fan of older magic for a long time, so. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much it. It's been a, <laughs> a long episode, but thank you, Boland, so much for joining us, chatting through everything we had on the docket. And yeah, once again, any listeners, make sure to check out Boland's stream. I, I stream basically every day, and I stream mostly the, like, alternate limited formats and then a lot of modern and pioneer i mix it up so yeah that was yeah. really fun thank you guys for having me on always a good time to talk about cube and just generally magic <laughs> yeah sure so in european times um boland's always streaming in the relatively early mornings so yeah i stream in the what? evening pacific time so i, I usually start like seven pacific which I guess is the morning in Europe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, if you need some breakfast TV, then... There you go. <laughs> so yeah, thank you everyone for hanging around for this long. And yeah, 
Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully, (laughs) I said this last time, but I'll just say it again, and eventually it'll come true. Hopefully, next episode, we'll be back with some Time Spiral Remastered spoilers, and we'll find out (laughs) exactly whether any of our predictions were correct. And yeah, that's going to be a great format to play. Not in the alt play section. I think there will be like a supreme version of that that I think I will play zero exactly zero times. But (laughs) can't wait for the regular that to come out definitely yeah just thanks everybody for listening and tune in next time happy cubing and happy alternate play calendar whatever there may be 